there are some people who go around calling themselves skeptics who are cynical and who are sort of out to debunk and immediately dismiss. And I think that I don't fit that mold at all. Ladies and gentlemen, you know You know, what I want to do is is find out what the real answer is. And I'm not going to assume it's paranormal. I, I just want to know what the answer is. So I think that you'd be surprised how many of us would jump up and down and have parties. We would be so excited. <laughs> because we want it. We want it to be real. So I think we both have to move away from our comfort zone, our edges, towards the middle and not be so um, so stuck in, in the, the mindset that we're in. We definitely have a lot to learn from each other. Go to the skeptic convention and we think the opposite. We think <laughs> okay. that the world is overrun with paranormal beliefs and, and ridiculous nonsense being uh, fished out as truth. Yeah, we, 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 see, we see us as losing. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 7. This time around on the program, we have a bit of a landmark edition of the show, as after 220-plus episodes of the program covering everything from Bigfoot and the Bermuda Triangle to meat-eating horses and the Michael Jackson death hoax, for the first time ever, we welcome a bona fide skeptic to the program as we venture into the realm of the skeptics with our guest, Sharon Hill, creator and editor of the outstanding website, Doubtful News. Over the course of this conversation, we're going to be discussing skepticism, of course, and skepticism's mortal enemy, the paranormal. And we'll try and find a sliver of intellectual landscape that may be able to harbor both worlds. We're going to talk about the nature of skepticism, the long-running feud between skeptics and paranormal enthusiasts and researchers, squabbles within the skeptic community over religion and other topics, how the paranormal misuses science in an ill-informed way, and Sharon's thoughts on ghost hunting, cryptozoology, ufology, and conspiracy theories. Additionally, we will smash the fourth wall and ponder the state of the paranormal media and the mainstream media covering the paranormal, as well as the very amusing and strange road which led to Sharon's appearance on BOA Audio. Plus, of course, tons and tons more. Altogether, it is a spirited but respectful discussion about the skeptical perspective and how it is both strikingly similar as well as vastly different from paranormal research, with an honest advocate for solving the enigmas which puzzle us all, Sharon Hill. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Sharon Hill, please allow me to provide you with a little background on her. <laughs> 
Sharon Hill has been an active member of the skeptical community since 1993. In 2006, she began her blog, Doubtful, which covers topics related to paranormal happenings, cryptozoology, anomalous natural phenomena, science and society, and general skeptical goodness. Her day job is as a geologist and policy specialist, and she has a master's degree in education, specializing in science and the public. Additionally, she runs the critical thinking news site DoubtfulNews.com and writes a web column for the Center for Skeptical Inquiry called Sounds Sciency. Her website is, as noted, DoubtfulNews.com. Pretty simple, all one word, DoubtfulNews.com. Check it out. And with all that said, my friends, let's get down to business and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on January 24th, 2013. Sharon Hill provides a skeptical perspective on BOA Audio Season 7. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 7. We're going to be venturing into some very interesting territory this week. Our guest is writer and researcher who specializes in effective skepticism, science, media, and the public. She's the editor of the outstanding website, DoubtfulNews.com, which really just came to my attention in the last, like, ten days. And I've been a faithful visitor ever since. It's a really amazing website. And as I said here in the introduction, she is uh, a writer of skepticism. She's a skeptic. And we've never had a skeptic on the show before. That's why we're sort of venturing into this brave new world. But really... If you kind of break down the program, I'm as skeptic as they come on a lot of this stuff. I'm, you know, flabbergasted by the whole pursuit of answers that's going on in the world of the paranormal. And I, having read a lot of, of her stuff, Sharon's stuff, uh, you know, I'm, I'm amazed that we really are closer than people might think. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Welcome to the program, Sharon Hill, editor, as I said, of DoubtfulNews.com. Oh, thank you. Very pleased to be here. Now, we generally start out with the bio, the background, you know, tell people who who is Sharon Hill and how did you get interested in all this? How did you end up be, you know, we, it's interesting, uh, you know, flesh out a little bit about how we, we've interviewed hundreds of people at this point, and I'd say like 95% of them fell onto the onto the, onto the other side, if you will. So it's, it's interesting to see sort of your evolution, you know, because a lot of people, they got into the time life stuff and you know, or sightings or in search of, and next thing you know, they were ufologists or cryptozoologists. And it's like, there wasn't really that kind of thing for skeptics too much back in the day. Right. Um, I, I always knew that I was going to be a scientist. When I was growing up, I was an avid reader, and the first books I remember reading were haunted houses, ghosts, monsters. Um, I could remember getting them out of the library, you know, that 001 section of the library where all those cool books about UFOs and paranormal <laughs> stuff were. So uh, I've always been interested in it, and um, I, I was always interested in, in nature, so I pursued science through my high school career and uh, became a geologist and I've since pursued a master's degree. I finished a master's degree in science and the public because I realized what I really loved to do was to talk to the public about understanding science. So about 1992 when the internet was just sort of warming up, we had like text-based browsers at that time. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. <laughs> I started searching stuff on the internet and I was researching ghosts and Bigfoot and, and uh, dinosaurs and, and things like that. And I came across 
<clears throat> skeptical literature for the first time. And it was, it was quite satisfying because, uh, I, I had been reading, I've been interested in evolution. Being a geologist, I was interested, interested in evolution, so I was interested in the, the debate about how that was, uh, creationism was pseudoscience, as they called it, with reading Stephen Jay Gould, and he would often write about, um, pseudoscience topics, and it sort of just evolved from there, understanding what the difference was between uh, a proper scientific approach to an issue and something that was maybe faith-based or belief-based. Uh, yeah. And um, I started reading more of the skeptical literature, and I found it really satisfying because it seemed to dig into some of the questions that maybe were nagging at me. One thing I didn't really care for, and it took me a while to, to realize this, I didn't like just story after story after story. You know, you read these ghost books or or these uh, uh, cryptozoology books, UFO books as well, where they're just witness stories, telling the stories, and the author retells them. And I found that very frustrating because it takes a lot of assumptions assumptions in that. You have to assume that the, the person is telling the story correctly. You have to assume that the writer got it correctly. And you have to assume that everything in it is reasonably true. And I really couldn't do that because as a scientist, I was looking for better evidence than eyewitness testimony, which is really unreliable. So the skeptical literature was more about the reason and the science that we have behind these things and what what the better explanation might be, the alternate explanation that was not paranormal but but had a basis in reality. And then I was led to research things about um, uh, paranormal uh, investigation groups and eyewitness testimony and uh, scientific uh, establishing scientific research protocols. So, yeah, it's been always learning. Always learning. So I've been to both sides. I mean, I, I've, I've went, been through all the, the standard literature, and then I went, I went and looked at the other side. And <laughs> I think that's that's incredibly important. You should always look at the critique of what you believe in to make sure that you fully understand it. Absolutely, I totally agree with that. That's something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, it, it, there's a whole, there's lots to unpack about this, about skepticism here, especially uh, <laughs> in light of we look at the whole of, of paranormal. Let's let's talk. Just I want to clear up the kerfluffle over the year in review episode because I thought it was hilarious. Because two years ago <laughs> we offended the true believers by not caring enough about or not giving credence enough really to these stories. And then two years later, <laughs> somehow we offended you by accident <laughs> for, I don't know exactly. <laughs> well, uh, I started Doubtful News in response, actually. I'm going to uh, probably offend somebody else, although this is not uh, uncommon knowledge. In response to another website that reports on paranormal news. Okay. Because I was frustrated. All they ever wanted to report was... Uh, the paranormal aspect in, in these crazy stories. And at one point, I even started a, an online discussion group where it was more of the critical people, but it also included people like Jerome Clark and, and, and other, uh, uh, paranormal, uh, researchers. And we were discussing these topics that were on this news site. And it, I, I just came at it from a different angle, I think, and I wasn't satisfied. So when I was, uh, when I had some time, uh, after I'd finished my master's degree, I said, I really want to do something different. I want to create a website. So 
I uh, asked my friends if anybody had been doing this sort of website where you took these really cool stories, because I'm a news junkie, I love those you know, Fordian stories and the, the weird news and stuff like that. Right. And really looked at them in a more skeptical way, in a critical way, because I mean, people see so much online and you don't know what to believe. And, and I wanted, I wanted a way to discuss these stories with other people, maybe try to figure, figure them out from a different angle, maybe the angle that was missing from what the media was giving us. So I started this website and I tried it for a little while and it took off and, um, it's, it's been going ever since. I mean, I, I spend a lot of part of the day looking for news stories. People send me news stories. I, I'm, I'm just a news junkie. I love that stuff. So that's uh, that's what I started. So I, I rarely miss news stories, mm. and I, I want to follow up on them because I want to know what happened. So if there is a news story about a UFO sighting, I'll try to follow up with that story, and I'll have to, like, set a Google search or something like that because often that second story, maybe the explanation – doesn't get as much press as the first. Absolutely, story. yeah, yeah. Well, that actually that brings me <laughs> around to the to the to, to the germination of our actual conversation tonight, mm-hmm. which is that you know we had put out the year in review episode just to catch people up who heard it uh, a couple of shows ago, and um, the point on the program over and over was that these stories never get the follow up, and and really. This has been the theme for the last few years that these are garbage stories that they're just we, we there's been no good stories and so you wrote to me asking me about if I knew that these stories had been followed up on right and that's when I discovered your awesome website <laughs> um, it takes some effort to follow up on these it really does um, like take for example the 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 group of kids that went to the Congo to look for Michele Mbembe right that was uh, that was a good story. I, I followed it from the time that they got the Kickstarter campaign going, and then they they got funded. And I actually had a discussion with the the guy who had started it, and I told him I'm a little bit concerned about this because do you guys really know what you're doing? Do you have scientists on board? And that's when I found out that they did not seem prepared. And uh, about three months later, I think you even discussed this on your show. You wondered what happened to them. Um, I, I looked it up, and I found the blog of somebody who had been on the expedition, but when they got uh, down to crunch time, he was told that they didn't have enough money to bring him along, and things just didn't go the way they were supposed to go. So he did follow up on the story on his blog and say that they ended up coming home and not getting to do what they wanted to do. And I, I think they even had some equipment stolen, and they didn't weren't able to get the right permits to do what they wanted to do. So I couldn't get unless I contacted the actual person, which I couldn't. I couldn't find him because the website was down. The only way I could find this out was through some sort of back channels and and really dig in and look for it. So right. it's hard to follow up on these stories. That's the problem, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and and I'm in agreement. I guess <laughs> what threw me off was that. Uh, at the time, you were you appeared on this program. I'm trying to remember the name of it here. Uh, Virtual skeptics, mm-hmm. and sort of took us to task for proselytizing these tales. But really, what we were doing was lamenting the lack of follow up <laughs> to the whole thing. Well, you guys are saying it was a bad year in the paranormal news, and I thought it was a great one. <gasps> <laughs> well, I yeah, but we were cheering for different resolutions. <laughs> I, I guess so. I thought it was a great year in monsters, and it wasn't a good year in ghosts. 
And you're probably right, it wasn't a good year in UFOs. But it was a great year for monsters and, and really strange stories like giant eyeballs and weird carcasses washing up on the beach, which I just love that stuff. So that that was fun to me, and I guess it was because I was really paying attention and I was searching for the stories that I thought it was it was a fun time. I've gotten to the point now where I'm exceedingly cynical, in the words of my friend Greg Bishop, uh, to this whole field, with the point where I just unless you know we've hammered this on the show a bunch of times, unless unless something unless like this U, next UFO story is the actual breakthrough story, I don't really care to hear the story. Yeah, you know? I know what you mean. Um, I, I feel the same way about uh, haunting. I, oh, I, uh, yeah, you can apply that to almost all the fields, yeah. really. Yeah, and, and, you know, what's the next Bigfoot letdown? Exactly. Yeah. So this is why I say we're actually in, <laughs> in much more agreement than uh, that may be the case. Yeah, I, I think that people get a, a mistaken impression of skeptics. Um, there are... There are some people who go around calling themselves skeptics who are cynical and who are sort of out to debunk and immediately dismiss. And I, I think that I don't fit that mold at all. I, you know, being a, a paranormal believer at one time and then and evolving. And I guess, you know, what I want to do is, is find out what the real answer is. And I'm not going to assume it's paranormal. I, I just want to know what the answer is. So that's why I tend to, to dig into it a bit more, and, I, and I'm, I'm critical about it because I, I don't want to be fed a pile of nonsense or lies. I want to know what the real story is, and I, if the real answer is mundane, if it's boring, it's still interesting to me because it tells me about the people who experienced it as well and about the culture. Well, actually, that's a good point because uh, I also wanted to give you props here for – as you say, you're a former paranormal believer, and you can kind of get that in the coverage at Delphal News because you have, like, the George Fawcett obituary, and it's not all snarky or anything like that. And you'd think that a, a run-of-the-mill skeptic-type website would just not even mention it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's sort of it's – it's a sign of class, I guess you could say. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to appeal to a broad audience, and I, there's no reason for me to be offensive, although – there are some topics that I feel extremely strongly about, and I don't hold back the snark. So, and some people take me to task on that. Um, but there are some some stories that, because I cover the whole entire skeptical type of interest, I will do stories on homeopathy or alternative medicine, things like that, and that really bothers me because people are harmed, physically harmed by it. So, I do get angry with that. Right, right. Actually, that's a good sort of jumping-off point, sort of uh, – I'm sure you've kind of heard this argument in the sense that it's like, what's – so what if somebody believes in Bigfoot or believes some crazy Bigfoot story? You know, what is it to you that this person believes this story? Why do you care? Why can't you just let them believe it? Right, and I do. Um, but there is – there. I, I'm not going to try to argue people out of their beliefs. That's – Definitely not my job. We all have our worldviews, which is, you know, shaped by our beliefs and, and how we see the world. I'm not there to argue people out of it. I just want to get people thinking about it because I can't convince you if, if you hold a belief. I can't convince you otherwise. You have to convince yourself. So if I can put that kernel of question into somebody and say, well, you know, I'm not really sold on that because of this, that, and the other thing, you know, what do you think about that? And it starts them thinking about that. That's what happened to me. You know, I 
I saw a little bit of doubt in what I was reading and followed up on that because it made me curious and then realized I had been, I had the mistaken ideas before. So you have to do this for yourself. You have to figure out uh, how you see the world and how you interpret things. I'm certainly not going to do that for you. So I don't really like when skeptics are out there trying to proselytize and, and say you're an idiot for believing that because um, smart people believe all sorts of weird things. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> Just look at all the major modern religions. It's uh, yeah, sure, and we're we're never going to get rid of that. That's the way our brains are. That's we we just gravitate to belief. Um, some of us believe things differently than others, so that makes the world go round. Exactly. Yeah. But I think one of the interesting aspects of of skepticism is that it's you've kind of got this challenge of proving a negative in a way. You've got to show that it's not, that this story didn't happen or this, this isn't the way it is. Do you know what I mean? Sure, because it's, it's easy to um, jump to a fun conclusion. Um, and, and this happens with a lot of news stories. They'll, they'll get put out there. And, you know, the old tale of a, a lie goes around the world while the truth is trying to tie its shoes. Um, it's hard to undo a, a, a good story that goes around. And then you have to sort of pick it apart. And one thing I found is that people who are particularly good at sounding science it's really hard to explain to somebody what's wrong because there may be a kernel of truth in it that's just warped in a different way, and you have to try to uh, explain it and undo it at the same time. It's really difficult. I did a story um, for uh, the, the web column that I, that I have, which is called Sound Sciency, about um, this – special water that you buy in the grocery store that's supposed to, I mean, it, there were claims that this cured cancer. Oh, it, God. Just yeah, recently? It was, yes. It was, <laughs> a few years ago, it was marketed as this um, uh, uh, type of water that was actually filtered through peat, like peat moss, but it was peat. And it, it was made of these, these acids, um, humic acids that was in the water, supposedly very healthy for you. And when I read the stuff on the bottle and I did some research, I went to the websites, and it sounded so sciency. And if you checked on some of the facts, they were actually true. But they were warped or applied in a way that were deceptive. But unless you really dug into it and looked carefully at it and understood some chemistry and, and big words and stuff, you'd never know that, that they were pulling a fast one on you. And that it, that makes me really upset when I do see that in the media because you do see these pseudoscience types who uh, we often see this coming out of you know these Russian media sites and sounding very impressive, and they're pulling a fast one on people. They're not really scientists and they're not saying things that are acceptable to the rest of the community. See, then that raises an issue that I had here in the notes, which is um, you say one can't get away with self-labeling his or her expertise. In science, mm-hmm. I think maybe I meant here as as science, but but isn't that kind of like they don't have the people who do these studies? These you know we're not talking about these bad people who are selling uh, snake oil here. Let's mm-hmm. sort of you know mosey this back over to UFO researchers, okay. and Bigfoot researchers, because uh, the people who are selling those drinks and shit that's like completely you know. Yeah, they're just bad people. They're not even, they're not like misguided and actually think that this is working. I don't think. I mean, think they're actually just jerks. 
So, <laughs> you know, we can kind of write them off. We don't need to get into their brains. But, the, you know, the UFO researchers and the, and, and the Bigfoot researchers, they, they don't, they're not allowed into science, so they have to create their own science. Mm-hmm. That's their perspective. I guess I maybe argue that for them. You know, I can kind of see that point of view. They've been marginalized. This is, has not, science may have done its studies on it, but they have conflicting opinions, so, and they're not really allowed into the science to sort of share that. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that whole idea? There's, um, <clears throat> when you're talking about uh, amateur research uh, and investigation groups or, or individuals that are not scientifically trained, uh, that I actually did a whole master's thesis on that where I looked at um, different groups online. I looked at a 1,000 different groups online, and I stopped at a 1,000. There are more. Um, and I looked at each of their websites, and mainly I got ghost hunters and UFO groups and cryptozoology groups and some general parapsychology groups that would look at uh, psychic claims and stuff like that, Fortean claims. And I, I looked at how they use the word science on their website or, or in their promotion. And I also then looked at if they uh, actually had science scientists in their group and if they followed what would be considered a scientific protocol. And about over half of the 1,000, you know, 57%, specifically noted or suggested use of science as part of their approach to investigation and research. And almost none had actual scientists on them. <laughs> These are like mostly ghost hunting groups, right? They were ghost, mostly ghost hunting groups, correct. Yeah. They were the majority because that's really that was really a trend. That's like the insane clown posse of, of the paranormal, though. <laughs> that's what I hear. <laughs> you know, they're juggalos. No one takes them seriously. But he, here's the thing. They, they really wanted to help people. Some of them were. Some of them were. Oh, not. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> some of them were demonologists, and and or they, oddly, they carried around their Bibles and their um their their psychic intuitive with them. I mean, they, and and then say that they that they had a scientific based protocol. It was nuts. But many of them were completely sincere, and what, the thing is that they wanted to do it the right way. They wanted to, and. They really didn't know how, because really the only way you learn how to do good science is by having someone right there with you all the time saying, you're doing this wrong, you have to do this better, it's, you, this isn't acceptable. When you're, when you're in a scientific community, like doing lab work or field work, you always have people criticizing you, not in a bad way, but just to make sure that you get better and you fix those mistakes and you close up those holes that can mess up your conclusion. And it's really tricky, and it's it's not pleasant. I mean, it's a lot of work. So I think that these amateur uh, researchers are in it for the right reasons, for sure, but they just aren't aware of what you really have to do to close up uh, an, an investigation and make it tight so you can get to these conclusions. Okay, so it's almost like your real issue is that they're they're not that they're using the word science. It's that they're actually claiming <laughs> claiming to be using science. They do it both ways. They use the word because um, they think they should. And I blame television for this. <laughs> um, a lot of people do mimic the ghost hunters on television. Um, also not scientific, not at all science, and it's a TV show. In addition to that, 
who do people see representing science? They see these people on TV. They see scientific stereotypes. They see scientific symbols. And they think that that's what science is and what it represents. And if you really ask people, you know what science is or how it works, they can't really explain it. It can be part of our education system. You know, we're not really well-trained in how to do science, but like most people think that science is from a textbook and it's never changing and we have absolute proof and that's the complete opposite of what it is. You know, it's, it's always being revised and um, it's uh, textbooks are always out of date and we're constantly getting new information and, and tweaking uh, theories and coming up with new hypotheses. So it's really not what people expect, but then they go and they, they act like they think they should act and they, they do things they think are the right way, and they miss really important parts. <laughs> so, you know, they're using these symbols and languages uh, about science and, and gadgets and technology is equated with yeah. being scientific, <laughs> which is, that's not it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it gets confusing, but I think that um, there is a lot of room for improvement. And when I did write my thesis, and it eventually did become an article in Skeptical Inquirer, I did sort of suggest that I think we, I think that there's a way, if we can manage to work together, you know, bring some more scientifically minded people in with some of these paranormal groups, if they want that, you know, sometimes they don't want that, uh, we might actually be able to, to solve some, some mysteries and, and come up with some really interesting stories and answers. Well, that's that's a point I wanted to kind of make too. Uh, you know, as this conversation went along, that, that I feel like there needs to be a bridge here between the two camps, mm-hmm. the paranormal and the skeptics. You know, maybe this program can can start that. <laughs> well, no, I, we'll I, build the bridge. And I'm really glad that you asked because that's what I want to do. I don't get invited. I get invited to skeptical conferences to speak. I know everybody, and they pretty much know what I'm going to say. Um, I don't get invited to paranormal conferences. Neither do I, so don't worry. (laughs) Don't take it personally. Sometimes I go, um, and I, I just, I don't come, I don't wear my big S, you know, big letter, big red letter S for skeptics. You know, I, and I just ask questions and I, and I talk to people and, and, uh, it's really enjoyable and it's extremely educational. And, and I like to do that. So, I, I wish that there was a way to to get us more involved. Now, uh, from what I understand, um, are you familiar with DragonCon? Uh, yeah, is that down in Atlanta fi- or something? Yeah, the big science fiction convention, uh, science fiction fantasy in, in Atlanta. And they used to have, um, they have a skeptic track and they have a paranormal track. And they used to have a, a, an opportunity where the two groups would sit together and discuss. And after a while... The paranormal people stopped sending representatives. Nobody wanted to go. Um, the skeptics were all sitting there going, let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's have a discussion. And the paranormal side just sort of dropped out. And I kind of saw that when I was there. I was there last year and I went into some of the paranormal track, um, sessions and I started asking some questions and everybody put up their defenses. It's as if they would finger me as skeptic. You're not welcome here. I was doing this, and I wasn't being unpleasant. All I was doing is asking a question. Like, well, you've got these 20, 20 years of, of ghost research you say you have. Um, what are you going to do with that? Because 
is it available to anybody else? Are you going to share it? And and they, they gave me a funny look, and they said, oh, yeah, we're going to do something with that. We're all going to get together, and we're going to discuss it, and we're going to have a committee. And, and I'm thinking, you had 20 years. I don't think you're going to do it now. They they weren't even talking amongst themselves, let alone um, having their, their stuff together to present it to anybody else. And I think that if they did present it to somebody else, like somebody a little bit more critical, and even if we say, look, you messed up your protocol here, this this isn't right, um, they can take that back and do it better the next time. And that's what I think that, that – that's what I think that the paranormal people can get from the skeptics. What the skeptics can get from the paranormal people is a heck of a lot more understanding about what people believe and, and how people see the world that, that's different from you because we need that understanding. Right. We touched on a couple of interesting points there. That's we've Again, we've hammered these on, on the program too. I've, I've likened it to this. If the ghost hunting thing, if, if it was actually working – then we should have figured it out by now because the sheer amount of manpower of all these groups going out, all these different weekends cultivating evidence, we should have something tangible enough to to break this story open. Absolutely. Same thing with Bigfoot, I hate to say it. We've been looking for that guy for 50 years, and we're not getting any better information. Um, Well, that's arguable, but with the ghosts especially, we're not getting anywhere. I agree on the ghosts. I'm, 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 I don't know where, what's going on with Bigfoot research at this point, so. Nobody knows. Yeah, it's, 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 well, I was talking about this with Adam Davies. It's sort of gone into the realm of DNA now to, to actually, to kind of bridge that, that group between the paranormal and, and science, you know, mm-hmm. they sort of have to get the acceptance. Now, there's a bunch of points here I, I, I've sort of picked up as we've talked. Now, I, we, we, I talked earlier about how you, you know, you're saying that you can't, label yourself a science, but how did, now you can, maybe you'll know this, maybe you can explain this to me, but you know, you, you say you got your degree in geology, didn't like back in the day the people who first started studying these rocks, didn't they not have any sort of like place within the scientific community at first, and then they were like, well, you know, we got we to call ourselves something, because I can't just keep saying, you know, you and you and you and you, you know, and eventually it became a science. You're exactly right, and it wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was just sort of like the Victorian age, you know, the time of around Darwin and um, the first fossil hunters. The, the dawn of geology was, you know, not that long ago. It's just a couple hundred years ago when usually wealthy men had some spare time and they were interested in nature and they were they were naturalists and they studied nature and then. Um, we realized that uh, they realized that they they could make a living out of this that, that because they really had nothing else to do if they were independently wealthy that's that's what they did and they studied birds and they studied rocks and they they discovered fossils and they tried to figure it out and uh, after a while science did become organized and they decided that there were these people who were more expert than others and it didn't take long before that was sort of codified you know that there, there was now a special training that you needed to be a naturalist or usually it was medical training uh, to be a scientist. And, and um, when that happened, when there became an official title, a scientist, the amateurs were then closed out. Wow. And that happens today where, where if you do not have official training, a degree, something, you are closed out. You're not considered a scientist. Um, and again, that's arguable because everybody could 
could use the tools of a scientist. Everybody could do their investigations in a scientific way. We don't all need special microscopes or telescopes or special machinery to go out and study nature or discover a new species in your backyard, which happens. And or to there's lots of citizen science projects where people are sitting at home on their computer or outside with their telescopes discovering new things. But what they then do is collaborate with real scientists in, in university and academic settings to double-check that information and then get it out to everybody else in the community who, who checks it, and then it gets distributed. Um, that is definitely missing in the paranormal community, any topic. It's missing. There is very rarely a connect between the, the researcher who's out looking for cryptids and an actual scientist. Um, in some cases, there may be, especially in cryptozoology. I guess that's really a bad example because a lot of cryptozoologists do have experience with wildlife biology and, and, and things like that. But for, for ghost hunters, forget it. There's, there's, they, they don't go to any psychologists. They don't go to any physicists. They, they don't seem to connect at all with real scientists. And, and that's, that's a drawback because they've stagnated for 20 years and not done anything that's been important and, and, and got us any better knowledge. These, uh, yeah, I don't disagree at all on these ghost people. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've, you've found the, the punching bag of the program. Hold on a second here. <laughs> um, you know, to get back to the sort of idea that I was talking about earlier, is building this bridge between the two communities, um, it does seem like maybe the, the two points of view have been battling so long, neither seems to have come to, on top, if you will. Mm-hmm. So maybe both of them are wrong. You know, maybe it doesn't have to be a black and white sort of thing. Maybe it can be a little bit of both. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, like, for example, if somebody says that uh, there was a, a, a cryptid sighting and you have the scientists, or the, I shouldn't even say scientists. I'm going to say somebody who's more uh, scientifically minded. It doesn't even have to be a scientist. Just somebody who's going to approach this from uh, sort of a, a, an evidence-based view, and then you have somebody who already believes this cryptid exists and is is looking for it in that area, they'll approach that issue from completely different directions. Um, one assumes one thing and another assumes uh, something completely different. And if the skeptic goes in saying it's just, it's, let's, it's a mistake or it's a, a person in a suit or whatever, that's a mistaken assumption. And if the the cryptozoologist is in there assuming that it's the well-known cryptid, that's also a mistaken assumption. We have to start with the basics and say, what, if anything, happened? And then figure out the, the evidence and the facts and then take the conclusion from there. You can't start with assumptions. So if I think we have a lot to learn from each other in, in that case. And, and when it comes to people talking about their eyewitness accounts, um, They've had an experience, and I'm not going to discount that because that's their experience, and, I'm, and they're affected by it. So going in, and, and the paranormalist person would say, would be completely sympathetic because maybe they've had the same type of uh, um, important experience, whereas the skeptical-minded person would come in and maybe be a little bit more cynical. So I think we both have to move away from our comfort zone, our edges, towards the middle and not be so... Um, so stuck in in the the mindset that we're in, we definitely have a lot to learn from each other. Soften up a bit on on both both ends. 
that's what I'm talking about. That's what this is all about here, this conversation. Because uh, I've lamented that this, this stagnation, I mean, talking about, like, uh, not just cryptids, but UFO research is completely stagnant. And I've been mm-hmm. talking about this for years and years and years on the show. I feel like there needs to be, like, this fresh start. I wish, I feel like, I wish the scientific end, the real science, mainstream science, would, would take a fresh look at this. But it feels like there's already this sort of in ingrained black versus white argument about that mystery and other mysteries as well. Yeah, that's probably true. And I wonder if maybe changing terminology or coming out with a different um, way of naming and, and categorizing the field would be different because we're so stuck in those ideas of like UFO equals right. uh, extraterrestrial flying saucer. And it's not that. I wonder if we change the name we can approach it in a different way because I love hearing stories about anomalous aerial phenomenon. You know, let's call it AAPs, right? Um, because somebody sees something. We don't know what it is. Let's find out what it is. I want to know. I want to know what it is. I'm fascinated by like earth lights and ball lightning and, and, and earthquake lights. I love earthquake lights. <laughs> so, I think that there's something to this, and and I would think that maybe taking just finding a way to take a brand new new look at it would would get us down the path towards some sort of new information. Right, exactly. I've I've advocated for this sort of fresh start PR sort of thing. It's it's really, you know, I have this in the notes here. It's the skepticism. A lot of it does revolve around semantics in a way. It does, and it's a difficult sort of thing to to get into because after a while you you start talking about what you know what the definition of is is <laughs> and it turns into this whole thing and then it's like well, we're so far askew from that guy in the field who saw that thing that we're not really necessarily actually looking at that anymore right and i think that's another case of of coming more towards the middle because uh, the paranormal people do not do a good job of defining the problem specifically. And you have to do that. In order to get a good answer, you have to have a good question first. So I don't think they do a good job at that. On the other hand, the, the scientific-minded person may say, this is physically impossible, what happened, you, you said what happened is physically impossible, you're mistaken. Um, instead of saying, you know, maybe there's some wiggle room here and we've got to figure out more of what happened. So there's, yeah, there's definitely that you, you can get stuck on both sides, you can get stuck. Um, I see the, the ghost hunters stuck in some strange ideas about um, EVPs and, and electromagnetic fields and this, this stuff that uh, – things like the stone tape theory and just ridiculous stuff that they need to get a better explanation, a better handle on this in order for anybody to take them seriously because there's no basis in reality for what they're saying. If they can dig into that and figure that out and come back with a more reasonable idea, then um, maybe scientists won't won't entertain that. But when they stick to those old tried and they're not true, um, they just don't work out, um, we we just stagnate. It it just stagnates and nothing, nothing new gets found. Exactly. Well, I feel like there's this, you know, for me personally, I feel like there's this sort of like root mystery at the base of all of these things. But now they've become so, they've collected all these barnacles Mm. uh, over the years that don't actually, 
that, that lead you astray. You know, it's like a tree. There's this root at the very bottom of it that, that makes sense, and all the branches are the ones that confuse you, if you will. That's confused me, in a sense. I sort of see that as, like, it's because it's part of our culture, these experiences are part of our culture, and they're shaped by culture. Um, I wonder if that, you know, that that's what we're seeing. We're seeing these beliefs grow through time and through changes in the culture as well. And I think that it's, it's it, it, I think earlier you made a point, you know, that this, the paranormal is, it really is contingent upon belief in a huge way. And that's an extremely difficult sort of thing to, if you're a skeptic, to combat. Right. Um, I, I like to, to think of things in terms of worldviews. You know, worldview being the whole set of, of interacting beliefs and, and opinions that you have that shape the way that you see everything in the world. And if you're a religious person that's part of your worldview, you will see things in a different way. If you believe in the supernatural, um, you'd see things, you'd interpret things in a different way. Uh, if you're more scientifically minded and you see everything in terms of black and white evidence, then you're going to see things in a different, you're going to interpret things in a different way as well. So, um, like, for example, if, if, if you believe in things like magical medicine, you know, or you believe miracles can happen, or, or if you're, you're, you're going to use an alternative cure, and then the, the other person is going to say, no, nope, I'm just going to stick with what the science says works. I'm going to go with the conventional treatment. Um, I don't understand people, as, as a scientist, I don't understand people who would, who would go for these untested treatments to try to cure their cancer. To me, that's, that's insane. But for some people, they're totally believing in that because that's their worldview. They believe that could happen. I can't deconstruct anybody else's worldview. And I, I can only maybe pick apart little bits. If you think of it, your, your worldview is like all these little pieces in a puzzle. You're not going to discard the whole puzzle, you know, all at once. If you pick out a couple pieces, then eventually the picture changes. Um, it's very rare where somebody just discards their whole worldview. You know, like a big, big throw everything out and, and replace it with something else. Sometimes that happens. People become atheists or whatever. But yeah. for the most part, that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, it's, it's, a, it's a slow process of picking apart the little bits and pieces, and then it becomes easier to throw the whole thing out and reconstruct it. So in terms of worldview, you know, we all have our own individual way of seeing the world. So... Uh, we sometimes have a hard time talking to each other because of that. You know, I, I can say something and there's no way you're going to accept it because that doesn't fit with your worldview. And I'm not going to be able to, to get anywhere. So I'm, I'm not sure, you know, again, it's, it's an individual process. Everybody has to sort of work on it in their own way if they want to. Some people don't want, some people are real happy with their worldview and they're not, they don't want to change it. They're happy yeah. to see that. <laughs> Especially the people that have spent like 20, 30 years looking at stuff. They don't have to change it. Yeah, the that's at actually all. A, a very different point. Um, when you're emotionally invested in something, say like um, the, the more professional uh, people who made their livelihood uh, as parapsychologists or as cryptozoologists, there's no, it's going to be very difficult for them to discard or, I see them change over time. I see their views change over time, but I don't see them discarding it uh, in one fell swoop very often. Right, right. That's yeah. That's human nature, though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you have to be open to change. Uh, I, I'm a big advocate for change. <laughs> I, I think you can grow as a person. But you have to be willing to change to do that. 
Now, how about this sort of perspective? It's uh, the, from the skeptical community. I don't mean you specifically. This is just sort of this uh, perspective from uh, the paranormal side. You get the the impression the skeptical community they're sort of like so vehemently against this stuff. But it's like, why are you so mad? Because you're winning. You're winning the the, the hearts and minds war. I guess you could say. Like no one, the paranormal is is ridiculed beyond belief. It's like it's it's you know. It's worse than the than the nerdiest of the nerd stuff. It's it's like you're. Even, are you saying that because you believe it, or are you just setting up a character caricature? What do you mean? Do you do you really? Is that is that? What no, you this believe? is how I think that it's portrayed by by people. You know, by because people on, in the media. Go to the skeptic convention, and we think the opposite. We think <laughs> okay. that the world is overrun with paranormal beliefs and and ridiculous nonsense being uh, fished out as truth. Yeah, we 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 see we see us as losing. We're never going to eradicate ridiculous beliefs in witchcraft and and miracles and stuff. So that's interesting. But you you see what I mean? I mean, it's I, I yeah. I remember you talking about that, saying that the paranormal is ridiculed, but it's really not because look at how popular it is. I mean, they've got these thousands and thousands of people going out um, ghost hunting and. Uh, camping out, listening for Bigfoot every weekend, more more so than ever before. We I mean we have the internet, we have these internet groups, and it feeds both camps because like you like you go and you look for for people who who think like you, and you form these communities, and especially online made that really easy to do. But um, yeah, the skeptics see, oh, we're never going to eradicate. But there's still people who believe in astrologers and, and all this stuff. And 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 it's funny that the paranormal side thinks that the skeptics are winning because we don't think that at all. Well, let me put it this way: you and I go into a bar, and you know, it, it, us separate from each other. And you, I tell the bartender I run a radio show that talks about UFOs and Bigfoot, and he looks at me askance. And and you go in and you say you run a website that, you know, clears up all this confusion over UFOs and and Bigfoot, and you know, I think you get a decidedly more positive reaction. Well, that, I think that depends on his world. Too. I guess that's true. I guess that's yeah, true. Yeah, because it's 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 such an interesting topic, and I and I I I realized this when I was researching the paranormal uh, amateur investigation groups because um, science, like we talked about, sort of gave up on UFOs, and we don't investigate haunted houses. We used to. We don't anymore. And we don't believe in Bigfoot. There aren't too many scientists seriously looking at Bigfoot. But the public is fascinated by these subjects, and they sort of see them as a realm of science. And science isn't paying any attention. They get mad. Um, so you see these petitions online saying the government should disclose what they know about UFOs, and uh, scientists should investigate these sightings. And um, scientists aren't doing it because they've they've given that up a while ago, but the people think that they should be investigating that. So uh, I think that we, people have a role that they think science should play, and, you know, we should be looking at that. I, I think we should. I mean, I would if, if I was in the research field, and a couple do, but, but not that many because it's an interesting issue, and people want you to pay attention to it. Right, because be, I, I, I recall this sort of... Uh conversation between myself and Jacques Vallée about this, where it's, you know, it, it, it actually, the persistence of these mysteries, in a way, to some people, gives science a bad name, because science apparently cannot solve them, 
Mm-hmm. They still exist. These there's still people are still seeing UFOs. People are still seeing Bigfoot. And I know we talked about trying to prove a negative, but still, uh, there still hasn't been any definitive answer to what this is. Like I don't know. I'm trying to think if there were previous old paranormal mysteries that they figured out, but I can't come up with off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But you you know what I mean. Well, I mean, at one point we thought meteorites weren't real. Oh, well, there you go. See. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's stuff it's, like that. Yeah. It's frustrating, I guess, on the part of the people who take this seriously, don't want, you know, are tired of the circus of the paranormal community, and wish that the scientific community would come over here and help us figure this out, because the people who have been trying to figure it out are doing a shitty job. Mm-hmm. That's hey, my how, per- that's my personal perspective. <laughs> how, could, how how would that happen? We're, we got to build this bridge. Yeah, we got <laughs> to get to work. You're uh, right. There's no bridge right now that we could cross over to, to each other's side. It's very difficult. Um, and, yeah, we get so stuck in our own little worlds as well. But yeah, because I, I I'm of the opinion, and and I'm you know on the other side that the paranormal community doesn't really want people over there telling you they're doing things wrong. No, I agree with that. There's a certain backlash towards codifying paranormal study. It's mm-hmm. People don't... I think... I think uh, I talked about this with Adam Davies. There's also this sort of... There's this weird sort of like wild, wild west pioneering thing. Uh, you know, it's like people... It's like panhandling. You know, they they, they for gold... Not like in the streets and singing and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I guess that would be busking. But but anyway, be panning. There you go. <laughs> uh, and I think everyone's sort of, or, or a lot of the researchers, and this doesn't go towards ghost hunting. I, I've completely written that off as as sort of a a serious endeavor at this point. Okay. So I'm talking about UFOs and really UFOs and Bigfoot. We haven't even got into conspiracy theory. Maybe we should talk about that a little <laughs> bit. But uh, they're all sort of trying to get their big their big payday. Not not in a literal sense, or possibly, but you know what I mean. They want to be the one that breaks the story. They want to be, right. you know, they want to be the the Newton of UFOs. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, they don't want they don't want the help. It's kind of weird like that in a way. Yeah, they're sort of mavericks. You know, they they feel that they could they could uh, cut through everything and and blaze the trail. Hmm. Yeah. They want the credit, uh, you know, for being the one that solved the mystery. Sure, and um. That doesn't work very well because science is the most, uh, best thing we have to getting reliable knowledge, the scientific process. We don't get other ways of knowing like revelation or, you know, people from authority telling you this is the way it's going to be. That usually fails. <laughs> but when we use a scientific process, using the evidence built up over time and, and, and getting the uh, the answer uh, more and more refined through time is the best way we know to understand nature. So that concept, that that uh, community is it's a community uh, activity. It's always involving more people. It almost never involves just one people, one person. And we hear about this a lot. Like this, you know, scientist was was uh, a pioneer, and that happens. But he always had people before him that built some steps or built the path that he walked on to take the next step. So it's definitely a community issue 
uh, now because you have to do peer review and you have to have people check your work and you have to have other people replicate it. So there's definitely a sharing aspect. One thing I didn't see in the paranormal community when I looked at it was the sharing aspect. They were all very closed about their stuff. They didn't want to share it. I don't know why. They didn't want people to tell them they were doing it wrong or, like you said, they just wanted all the credit. It's not going to work because you just get so mired in your and fall in love with your own ideas, you don't realize how off base you are unless you subject that to critique. All right. Now, how about this? Let's let's get a completely different sort of uh, avenue to throw at you here. You're in the skeptical community. You know them well, and mm-hmm. I find it interesting. I've I've been. I'll, I'll be honest. I've checked out your Twitter a few times since you uh, messaged me, and I noticed that this. There's plenty of squabbles within the skeptical community. Oh, yeah. Just like the paranormal community. You guys aren't so much different than us. We're, no. We're really quite alike. That's, that's the frustrating part. Um, you know, it's the zealots on both sides that I can't stand. But, mm-hmm. but um, oh, Jesus, now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> the current issues with the skeptical community are... Uh, I don't think they're different because they sort of stem from the same uh, root. We have the Internet open up an entire new way of communicating. And now anybody can go online and talk to people who think like they do, or they can spend their time arguing with people who don't think like they do. Um now, this, both communities have grown tremendously because of the Internet. I'm convinced of that. We're, the skeptics are huge uh, across the, the, the country and internationally. We have skeptic groups everywhere. We, we meet in pubs, and we have skeptic camps, and we have um, uh, workshops, and, and we do all sorts of activities. And I think the same thing happens to these paranormal groups. They're getting together. They're doing investigations on the weekends. They're going on on tours and, and trips. And um, <clears throat> when you have that kind of community growing, you're going to have growing pains. Um, and I think that we're seeing that with the skeptical community because think about this. I mean, when, when I say uh, I'm a skeptic or somebody's a skeptic, what do you think of? You think of an old white guy. An old white academic is, is the typical curmudgeonly skeptic. The skeptic community doesn't look like that as much today. It's got uh, a lot of women, a lot of young people, and even, even some minorities in there. And we start squabbling because the rules are a little bit weird. Now, um, there's been charges of sexism or um, discrimination. Uh, that happens throughout society. I mean, we, the society has gone through this issue. And if I go to a Bigfoot conference, guess who's there? A pile of old white guys. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think that as they grow, they're going to experience those types of growing pains as well, you know, as women come in and become interested. And um, as you don't have a lot of minorities involved, uh, you know, people of different cultural backgrounds. It's it, it's not happening yet, but I think that you're going to have those kinds of squabbles as well. I just, it's just a little microcosm of the big society. You're going to have those issues, and you're going to fight for power and control and leadership. Well, what are you all fighting about? Because isn't the answer no to everything that we that, that I say we that the people on the paranormal side say? So, what could you be arguing about? Where to go to dinner? 
Oh, it's it's very interesting. There's a couple of spats. There are spats. Of, um, the, I'd say the main spat is about uh, atheism. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm of the opinion that skepticism and atheism are two completely separate things. Um, you can be a skeptic and not be an atheist. You can be an. I know a lot of atheists who are not skeptical. Um, and and I uh, this uh, skepticism is a process and the way you apply your thinking to solve an issue. Atheism is a conclusion. You've made your conclusion. I'm not going to believe in God. Right. Um, that's not the same as a skeptical process. So the, there is no overlap. There is an overlap, but there is no. Um, it's definitely two different things. So what the skeptic community will argue about is including uh, being a big tent. Do we want to accept people who are religious but who are advocates against um, alternative medicine or who definitely don't believe in UFOs or want to promote science education? Um, and it can be a little bit uncomfortable because there are very adamant skeptics who are adamant atheists, militant atheists. And they make religious people feel uncomfortable. I refuse to do that. I, I refuse to be, I refuse to discriminate against religion because that's a personal choice that you've made in, in your belief system. If I can help you decide that you should vaccinate your child and not fear autism, um, that's, that's my goal. I don't care what you do on Sundays. That's not, that's not really the thing. So th- that's the number one problem we have is atheism and what they would call accommodationists, hmm. people who accept religious people into their idea of skepticism. Um, the other problem we have is what's important to spend our time on. Um, some people think that I waste my time talking about Bigfoot and ghosts and UFOs because that's silly and nobody believes that. We should be spending our time either trying to eradicate religion, which is ridiculous, or spending time on alternative medicine treatments that are actually killing people. You know, people who die of cancer because they don't get the correct treatment. Or um, right. kids who die of, of diseases because their parents don't get them vaccinated. So a lot of people feel that that's the, that's the thing you should be focusing your time on. Don't bother with all this other stuff. So, And then we're also struggling with dealing with feminism issues. Um, with, with the influx of a lot of younger women and men, um, we're having an issue with getting the kinds of speakers we want at events, uh, proper representation, uh, fair treatment, um, things like that. Yeah. So those are the big things. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate, but... Uh, uh, I know. think it's inevitable. I su- Yeah, I guess you're right. The, the the train of thought that I lost has pulled back into the station. Oh, great. <laughs> and and uh, it was... Now, you're, you're familiar with this skeptical community, what do you think the reaction would be if one of these mysteries turned out to be true? If it was like somebody hit a Bigfoot with their car or, um, I don't know, a ghost got stuck somehow, <laughs> like, a, like you know, like that Bill Cosby movie, Ghost Dad. <laughs> you know, you know, the ghost was there. It could be proven somehow, you know. Well, I think the easiest thing to imagine would probably be uh, actually finding evidence of Bigfoot. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's probably the most plausible. I mean, there's more plausible cryptids, but because if um, a UFO crashed, it that that's a whole different like kettle of that fish. That would really. Um, I mean, that's think about it this way: if if a UFO crashed and it was extraterrestrials, that would be so 
earth shattering. That what the skeptics have to say wouldn't even. Yeah, it would be like. Uh, I mean, that, everybody would just. Think, yeah, we, we'd all be. Debate. We'd all be floored. Right. But but the idea of a Bigfoot isn't going to change people's view of the world too much. You know, it's sort of like a mystery that mm. uh, if it shows up, it it would be really cool. But it wouldn't make people jump off cliffs and commit suicide, right, or something like that. You know, like we were being invaded by by space invaders. Um, so I think that you'd be surprised how many of us would jump up and down and have parties. We would be so excited <laughs> because we want it. We want it to be real. I think that when we were kids, you know. Uh, uh, we always, a lot of, a lot of skeptics often grew up as, as believers. We wanted it to be true. So, you know, inside of us, we're still hoping that it is. We've just come along this path too far and we're a bit disappointed. And maybe we've just opened our eyes and said, oh, gee, it doesn't look good. So I'm going to just live life as if it's not going to happen. That's, but if, that's how I live. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. It's, yeah. If it does happen, definitely willing to change our minds. There are very few people I know who would not be extremely excited to find great evidence of Bigfoot. Now, do you think, though, then, that the skeptical community, of course, it, there would be different perspectives from a whole bunch of different people, but do you think that there might be a wave, then, of people who are like, kind of like going back to what we talked about earlier, hey, let's take a second look at this. Let's take a fresh look at this. Are these other things? Maybe we were wrong about, you know, the Loch Ness monsters to carry on the cryptid uh, theme. Yeah, I don't see that as much because I I, I see these problems as rather unique in themselves. Mm. <clears throat> I uh, I see the Loch Ness monster idea as extremely different than the Bigfoot idea. For one, people see Bigfoot a lot more. And he's all over the place, apparently. Right, he's, right. He's in every state but Hawaii. He's a world traveler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got relatives all over. So I think that that one's a little bit different than um, Nessie has pretty much been proven to be not a monster. It's something else, and it probably has multiple explanations. But... So we're not going to nail down one thing. If we find Bigfoot, we can nail down one thing. It's a real creature, and it looks different, or it's different than us, or different than what we know. I don't think the Loch Ness Monster is like this. So I think each each of these mysteries has a completely different context. So uh, either buying into them or finding out that they're true is going to cause a different reaction. Okay. You know what I mean? No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah maybe the Loch Ness Monster was a poor... Example. I guess you know. I guess what I'm saying is, I think that some people would sort of give it a sec, give some of these mysteries a second look, even if they only gave it a brief second look. Mm. Kind of would just sort of plant a little seed of doubt, because well, there's a certain I, I, like air of certainty on both sides. Obviously, you know, I'm uncertain about all this stuff. That's what frustrates mm-hmm. me. The people who go on these shows and are like. UFOs are real. They're aliens. The government knows. Those people drive me crazy because they yeah. cannot prove what they're saying at all. Like, I, I'd That's appreciate people. Yeah. It's, but, it's no, but, not yeah, based on yeah, exactly. But they actually believe it. That's, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to, you know, they say it as, if, as it's a fact, you mm-hmm. know, and they never seem to ever, can, can never prove it. Not to me. They can't prove it to <laughs> me because I don't, I, one, I don't know what they know. Um, I don't hold that same worldview, and that's why we have this this frustration in talking to each other sometimes because we're trying to do the convincing 
that's not going to work. Exactly. I think we need to find, like, I do some work on coalition building. And one thing that when you're trying to get disparate groups together uh, or groups that don't normally work together to work together for a common cause is you have to start by finding the common ground, common values. And we've never done that. We've never sat down with, not that I know of, that, that this has ever happened, where people have sat down with each other and say, okay, I don't believe in this, and you do, what can we agree upon? You know, these people have been having this experience, and, you know, these are the facts that we have to work with. No, you can't work with that facts because that's an interpretation, not an observation. You know, that we have a problem of, of putting our interpretations on top of observations. So the ghost hunters going into a building will will read an EMF spike and say, oh, it's paranormal, um, it's energy, it's paranormal activity. No, it's not. That's, it's an EMF spike. Right. Don't go farther than that. So we have to bring this back to really basic nuggets that we can begin with and then agree upon some rules and move on. That's a big, maybe we need like a Congress, you know, bring all these, <laughs> bring these, these experts together from both sides and sort of see what we can work out. That would be interesting. I think it would be interesting, but there's such bad blood between the two sides. It's, it's you Yeah, know, there is. It's, I think there's some moderates on each side, though. I agree. I agree. I don't just, I just don't care for all, a lot of the name calling. It upsets me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I don't like that either. I'm, I, I, on the website, I, I have a very strong moderation policy on the comments. We don't run a, a normal website. Um, the comments on the website for these stories means that you contribute information about the story, clarification, or a comment that you can back up. You are not allowed to go on and say, this person's a moron, you're an idiot, I will remove that comment. Um, there's actually flags for words like moron, idiot, asshole, stupid. They'll automatically get straight <laughs> the moderation bin because they won't allow it. Um, we have to maintain um, a civil, collegial uh, level of discussion if we're going to get anywhere because as soon as the name-calling starts, as soon as the, um, the animosity starts, then all uh, discussion sort of gets sidetracked. So I try to keep that out, and I'll pluck those clean out. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I have to tell you this. I have to tell you this story, though. This is a funny story. Close to when I first started the website, it was, it was very beginning of, of – well, I started it back in, in August 2011, so it was like the beginning of 2012. Do you recall the story about uh, the house in New Jersey that people rented and they said was haunted? They the ran Amity? out of the house. It was a family. They said it's another Amityville horror. Oh, it's another. Okay, I thought you meant. The yeah, and there were there there were lawsuits. They they sued their they sued their landlord, saying I can't live here. There's paranormal activity. And he says you just don't have money to pay your lease. So it ended up. Go, this is another story that ended up being resolved. But all the people saw was the stuff that came out on ABC News about these people having their lights go on and off and their right. clothes being messed up. What actually happened is it got resolved on the people's court. <laughs> How appropriate. <laughs> they, went, they went on the people's court. They agreed to settle on the, on the people's court, and the judge said, sorry, there's no paranormal activity here. You can't prove this. You need to pay your, your lease. But anyway, when the story came out on the, on the website, I was very annoyed because the first person these, this family called in was not an electrician, not a um, pest control person, uh, not somebody who was a plumber, you know, any, anybody like that, they're having these problems, calling a paranormal investigation team. 
So at that point, they're already assuming that there's paranormal activity going on. And of course, that's what the paranormal team found. That's the conclusions they came to. So I got really angry, and that sort of came out in the way I framed the story. And the paranormal team came onto the website. I guess they Googled their name and they found <laughs> it and started arguing with me. The main guy from the site, I mean, from the, the organization, was extremely pleasant and said, I just want to make these corrections. We did call it an electrician, and, and we, we, we do these things. And I said, thank you for coming on and, and, and contributing to this because I can't figure that out from the news story. I needed to hear this from you, and, and I really appreciate it because I like to talk to see what they've done, and I'm curious. What, what did they do, and what kind of stuff did they find? Within a day, the other members of his team, some of the younger ones, came on and started leaving comments about how I wasn't there, I'm an idiot, I don't know what I'm talking about. There were feces flinging demons in the house, and they were harassed, and it was a horrible situation, and the house is haunted, they definitely know, and I'm, I'm an idiot. And um, I... I took the, I started replying a little bit to those and most of the ones that were too bad to post because they were obscene, I sent to the paranormal, the, the leader of the group and said, do you really want these people out in public representing you? Look at the kind of stuff they're saying to me. Am I supposed to take this seriously because it's just giving you a bad impression for, for your organization? You need to step up your game. I appreciate that you came on the site and tried to explain things to me because this was helpful for me. I got things wrong from what was portrayed in the media. But you really have to um, rein in the people underneath you because they're ridiculous. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're making me just want to uh, discard you entirely. So really stepping up your game and acting professional and being open to an exchange of ideas is we got to accept that. That's the first step, you know, not being so violent towards right, another right. point of view. Right. Well, I'm going to pat myself on the back because that's why I want to have you on the show because, you <laughs> yes. know. It was like, I, I was kind of aghast. I was like, she thinks I'm doing something that I'm not doing at all. I don't know why she's saying these things. <laughs> you know, it's, it's frustrating. Did you ever listen to the show that you were, the, the, the year in review episode or? I listened to the year in review episode, yes. Okay. I did listen to that. And I had, I think you guys made some really good points. And I think you were off on a couple points. And now I can't remember what it was that I, right. that I, because I didn't write it down. I was, I was driving while I was listening to it. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, there's another case where I have things that I, you definitely hit on. And like the conspiracy theory idea. We can talk about that if you want. Talking about this is going to be the year of conspiracies coming up. You're absolutely right. right. It's going to be the year of conspiracies, no doubt about it. No, I just I, I'm, I'm going to keep beating this horse because I'm a total clown. But okay. when you <laughs> when you taped the episode of Virtual Skeptics, I, I I appreciate that you reached out to me ahead of time, but I didn't get back to you in time. No one gets an email back from me within a day. I don't know how you <laughs> I, I don't know how you do it <laughs> because I three days is like really good. But um, so when you were talking about the show, you actually hadn't heard it yet. No, I didn't. You were relying on witness testimony, uh, I guess you some, could say? I have a, a correspondent. He's a professor, <laughs> and he loves to listen to um, your show. And he just informed me. He says, it's very strange. They, they're they not aware of your website. They're not aware that um, 
these stories were resolved. And he he gave me the examples of a couple ones that you used Baltic UFO and the Congo yeah. thing, and and um, I think there was one other one, but um, and it just so happened that that whole week. I was quite frustrated because I, I look at lots of paranormal sites to get my news because those are news junkies too and they, oh, yeah. they pick up the good story. So I look for the stories that they find interesting and then, and then go research them in the media. And I was, then we, then we sort of share our links amongst each other. Uh, we really do. Um, sort of pick and choose from each other, and because we all put our different spin on it. You right, know, your website's outstanding. I, I I feel like a jerk for keep bringing this up, but it's like <laughs> <laughs> I work really hard at it because I, I want it to. Be, I don't want it to be like uh, another site. I want it to be unique. So I think we all put our different spin on on things, and so we sort of share the same types of story. And if you go to one site, you'll get a different spin on the story. If you come to my site, you'll get a completely different spin on it. Uh, or, or attitude about it. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, this, this correspondence is, is, is very interesting because, uh, and he pointed out a couple things that you had said that we had talked about privately about how the paranormal community responds to certain things and, and how it's, uh, uh, ufology especially has, has changed so much and, and is really in decline right now because people have left or people, you know, people are getting old and they're dying. You know, the, the major researchers are leaving yeah. and it's changing. And so we discuss this a lot and, you know, we'll discuss books that we've read and it's, when he said that he found this interesting, I thought, oh, I gotta listen to it. But at the time, and he told me, I, I was frustrated because the other paranormal sites would not I would write to them. I would give them the links to my story and say, I think that this has an explanation, and they would ignore it. I would write emails to other paranormal sites and say, look, here's 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 another aspect you didn't notice. You, you overlooked this. And I would not get an answer back, and I would be ignored. Yeah. It, was, it made me feel like they didn't want to know hmm. the truth. They just wanted to um, talk about the mystery. And I, I found that frustrating. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did get mad. Well, don't I got pick, mad on that web, yeah. webcast. <laughs> Quit picking on me, man. <laughs> I got, yeah, I got mad because, and, and it wasn't fair, because I generalized. Um, it's all right. I'm just teasing you now. Teasing. <laughs> well, we all, we all make mistakes, and I will own up to my mistakes. I do this all the time. I yell at people, and I try not to yell at people, but I do yell sometimes, and, and I definitely make mistakes. Every day I make mistakes. But I, I, my goal is to find out the best answer. So, I mean, if somebody tells me, we have a, we have a page on our, on our website that says, did we do something wrong? Because we want people to come on and say, look, the media misquoted me or you misinterpreted this and I want to fix it. Because when do you find that in the media? You never get those. Yeah, exactly. About. So I thought that would be a cool thing to have. Uh, and I've had people actually come back to me and say, you quoted this media story they misquoted me, and um, yeah. Here's the real and I will try to fix it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, like so, I said, I was just teasing you. You, you got to be careful okay. with these witness testimonies, though. You got to be careful with these witness testimonies. You You're right. Start. I had a, I had a reliable source. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a paranormal investigator now. I know he was a scientist too, so I had to take what he said seriously. No, I, it, it was definitely worth listening to because then when I actually <laughs> did listen to it, I realized that there. We shouldn't assume, right? 
we we should we should consider all options and and not assume the worst and skeptics are extremely guilty of assuming the worst or assuming the wrong thing and nobody should do that it's just it, you know it makes an ass out of you and me so no worries at all no worries at all <laughs> my favorite correspondent who sends me the best information jeb card he listens to some of these uh radio shows and he listened to banal of america is that how you pronounce it tim banal I don't. I never listen to it, but no um. idea. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Look, Todd, I know you're a big conspiracy theorist, okay? And you believe everything, man. It's not you're true. so naive, man. There are no aliens in Roswell, and contact lenses aren't made out of amoebas. They are, they too, are. dude. Dude, hey, did you see that? What? Chupacabra. He just ran down the aisle, Todd. You better find him. We got a lot of time still. Let's talk a little bit about. Uh conspiracy because I, I said on the end of the program and you mentioned it on your Twitter feed that you've heard it from other people too that uh it's it's gonna be an unfortunate big year for conspiracy, I feel. And this Sandy Hook thing's insane. I don't know what these people are doing. I don't know what the, the what's what frustrates me, what drives me crazy, because I believe the government does lie to us. And I believe Of course they do. Yes. Yeah. And I believe they cover things up. And to be quite honest, like this is not going to go off on a crazy tangent here, but uh, and hope, hopefully by the time I'm going to rush this episode out in the next couple of weeks, so it'll still be relevant. But as someone who's heard a million conspiracies, and as I said, forgive me, this is going to sound even crazier, but this crazy thing with the football player and the and the <laughs> and, and the catfishing and what is he lying? Is he not lying? What did he know? When did he know it? It's like to a conspiracy buff, this is like like amazingly awesome and, and a beautiful story to behold, you know, and also a terrible thing in a lot of ways too. And, and you know, but but to me, it's like it's the one white crow that proves that not all crows are black in mm-hmm. a sense. Or it's like, see, there are crazy things happening. There are crazy weird things happening behind the scenes, you know, that may not that don't amount to a bunch of dead kids in a school in Connecticut. It might just be a crazy con- – This, but there are conspiracies out there. For sure. Um, I don't even know where – you know, I just went off on a rant there. So. <laughs> no, it's a good point because it brings up a couple things that I think conspiracy theorists um, are or, or have that are different from, from maybe the rest of us, and we don't – I don't understand. I can't even comprehend – uh, how conspiracy, people who like conspiracies think. I, it, it boggles my mind. I can't wrap my head around the idea that someone would believe the ridiculous stories about, uh, it, it started, it started with Aurora. It was only like a day or two before you started hearing the conspiracy right. around the Aurora shooting. And it took hours before you, it just, it's almost immediate now that we start to hear these conspiracy theories pop up. A couple things that I, I think that the conspiracy theorists do is, uh, for one, they assume everything at, at face value. So, like, every bit of information uh, that comes out in this 24-hour media cycle, you know, they're trying to come up with this information so fast. So a lot of what comes out is speculative or it hasn't been confirmed. You know, the first thing they got wrong was the shooter's name. Um, and then that turned into conspiracy, part of the conspiracy. It was a mistake. Yeah. We're going to get those 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 first bits of information probably wrong because there's so much confusion and we're not going to get a straight answer because maybe they don't even know the straight answer yet. Exactly. The, the the stream of information coming out is going to be confusing and it's going to be conflicting. That's what we expect. 
I mean, if, if you have a, something happen traumatic to a group of people, they're all going to come up with just slightly different stories about it. They're going to remember something just slightly different because our brains aren't, our brains are far from perfect. Our memories are terrible. And if we're stressed, we do a bad job of remembering and we do a bad job of relating back to another person and the story gets changed. So what these conspiracy theorists don't seem to understand is um, messy data is the norm. It's going to look confusing. In fact, if it was too perfect, it was probably concocted. You know? Mm, I mean, that's yeah. the way I think about it. And and another aspect, um, being a government employee, um, and then the people saying that the government is, on the one hand, we're, we're completely incompetent. We can't, you know, do the budget. We can't. We waste money all all over the place. But yet we're so sophisticated that we can keep these secrets and and concoct these these elaborate plans. Which is it? Are we incompetent or are we spectacular? It can't be both. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, though. The government's a pretty big entity. Don't you think it could be compartmentalized enough where? No. Okay. No, I think that if one person <laughs> knows a secret, um. You know, they can't even keep secrets about who they're, you know, having affairs with. And they, they cannot keep secrets about such a huge thing over all this time. And if, for, for things like UFOs and stuff, I mean, or especially with the, the 2012 conspiracies that were going on that, that NASA was hiding information from us was completely ridiculous because you have thousands of amateur astronomers all over the world looking at the sky every night and they're not seeing the planet Nibiru coming at us, you know. <laughs> so, I don't think you can hide it in the government, in the system, and I don't think you can hide it on the outside. So I am not convinced that there are the, – sure, you're right, there are government conspiracies. We've definitely shown that to be true. But we know that there are because they've come out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> somebody, somebody snitched. So that's what happens. So and, you're saying where are the snitches for the other conspiracies? If there's no snitches, I don't think that there's there's a real conspiracy going on there because I think that the snitches naturally come out. And if we're talking about UFOs being hidden since the time of Roswell, no, it's not happening because there's nobody has said a word. And and Roswell's, in my opinion, completely you know concocted and and it has has it has some kernels of truth in it that just got just changed over over the decades. So. Uh, this whole thing about the government hiding things for decades, I, I cannot buy it. There's just no evidence. In fact, the evidence shows that we, we just mess it up and leak and, and give away our secrets. <laughs> That's what the evidence showed. So I, uh, yeah, I'm, we may have to agree to disagree on this point, I guess. <laughs> I, because I'm not like a crazy, I'm not like a big time conspiracy even like follower, if you will, because that's exhausting. I've said this on the show before. That's like you have to live in a world where every piece of news that comes out, you have to fit, you know, for every square peg that comes out in the news, you have to shave off the edges to fit it into your round hole. Mm. So, I mean, that's, to me, I don't, I'm lazy, inherently lazy, so I cannot do that. <laughs> so that's mm. not even a possibility. But I do think some of the, you know, I guess like some of the big conspiracies probably do have some kernel of truth and I, I you know like JFK and UFOs let's say those are the two mm-hmm. I would probably you know put put my money where my mouth is on and and I had... think that you do have people that did snitch but they they either lacked credibility or were marginalized by the media I mean there's always and and 
this is a this is an argument we have on the year in review show where we bemoan this in a sense where it's like there's always some you know prime minister of of you know the fourth most important affairs of a country you know who served in the 70s who's like yeah I saw a bunch of UFO stuff and it's like that doesn't do us really any good you yeah. know because the French you know because 1975's French minister of the interior was like I saw documents on UFOs mm. so it happens but. You know, it's never anybody good. Well, just follow <laughs> up on follow up on what you just said there about JFK and and UFOs. I think you're right that there is some secrets being held because um, not all the information did get out or got out correctly. Mm. Um, and I think for various reasons, you know, they, it either was not captured correctly, information was not recorded correctly, it was lost. Government loses stuff all the time. It's not a conspiracy that we got rid of it. We just lose it because there's so much stuff and paper. So I think the things getting lost is, is something we, we have to assume happens. And also there there was basic, I think, security issues where a lot of this stuff is not going to be able to come out because of security issues. So, yeah, it's. I think what what most people, I think all people miss, when they go through their lives is they assume that there's a one-to-one relationship or that you can draw a line from A to B. And I don't think that's true. I think it's way more complicated than you ever imagined. I, you know, I, it's, it's more complicated than that. Um, and, and people don't understand that there's so many variables that go into our lives every day and the way people interpret things and, and what happens to them, so many variables that we don't, we can't even grasp how complicated things are in some way. So we have a hard time explaining them. So when we try to explain them in a in a in a straight line, it it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit that straight line. It's too complicated. Okay. So you're saying like, you know, there's a, there's a myriad of influences on people yeah. and events that other that we don't really take into consideration is kind of what you're Yeah, saying. exactly. I, I I certainly agree with that point. You know, to go back to that football player's story though. I know, that was crazy. That's the kind of thing where you're like, well, the truth is stranger than fiction. What is the, you know, what is, you know, where, you know. And and at the same time, the Lance Armstrong story was going on. Mm. And it was just a strange week, and I I did a story that was like the the, the sports week in lies, you know, because... it was that was what was dominating the news at the time was all these elaborate um, stories that were going around that that were constructed either by um, the football player or then by you know Armstrong over all these years, and we all we fell for them because they sounded reasonable at the time. We believed in that person. It was a good story. It was a hero story. You know, it made us feel good. We bought into it. We weren't critical about it. Right. Well, that's another point that, yeah. you know, it's like, that's, that's it, the, the thing about this whole story, too, is it's scary. We're almost getting into just general conversation about, regardless of skepticism and, and the paranormal, but it's sort of like, you know, they don't, it's scary that these narratives can be foisted upon people without, and then it turns out that the people who are doing the foisting never actually did the legwork to prove that, this dude's girlfriend ever existed or anything. Mm. It's kind of scary because then you wonder, you're like, well, what other stories have I heard that sure. aren't true? But, I mean, by default, we want to believe people are telling the truth. Yeah. 
And so maybe that's the safe bet. That's the default position. It's not always going to be the right one, but it gets us by most of the time. Um, some people are a little too gullible, and they fall for everything. Unfortunately, like the the elderly will fall for the scams on the telephone and give away their Social Security numbers or their credit cards because they want to trust people, but they don't realize that there are some, some scams out there if people are trying to pull fast one on you. But I think our default position is to assume that people are telling the truth. So when they say that these things happen to them, it's – I once asked Joe Nickel this. You, you know Joe Nickel. Yeah, I'm familiar with him, yeah. Um, and, and I've had this, I've had this experience as well because I, I did field investigations for, for um, uh, geology issues. So I would go out and I would talk to people and I said to Joe, what do you do if somebody is obviously lying to you? You know that they're lying to you. Um, and I've had people say, this thing happened to me and I know it didn't because I have a recorded uh, bit of, of information that showed right. that that was not happening at the time, and he couldn't. He, he gave me an answer, but it wasn't a good one. Because what do you do when you know that person is really not telling the truth, or, or you don't know but you suspect? How do you how do you treat that person? It's very difficult to get around that idea because you want to trust them and assume that they're telling you the truth, but you have this other information that's saying that they're not, and you have that that dissonance going on. What, how do you handle a person like that? We really don't have a good way of dealing with people who we think are not telling the truth. It feels uncomfortable. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah I never really thought of it that way, but, yeah, it's difficult. You can't really – well, I've kind of run into that here on the program at times in the sense yeah, where – Yeah, I imagine you would. <laughs> where I, I've, I've expressed it this way, where it's just like I can't – it's not that I think the person is lying – but if it's a personal anecdote, I feel like I get hit up against a wall where I cannot really go any further. You know, they'll tell me the story. I'll ask some questions that I think are kind of holes in the story, but I can't. There's no really further that you can go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. That's you the can't. difficulty in a way with a lot of this anecdotal stuff, too. You weren't there. You know, so you can't, and you can't get any more information out of them than what they're telling you. Exactly. So you can't pull any more information because you weren't there. Um, and this happens to a lot of skeptics as well. Well, somebody will come up to me and say, well, I had this experience. How do you explain that? I can't. I wasn't there. Wait a minute. I don't a skeptic will say that? Pardon me? A skeptic would say that to you? No. Oh. If, if I'm, uh, oh. I, I would be out talking to people and, and they know what I write about and what I do and they'll try to catch me. Mm. I had this experience that I saw this and I experienced this and how do you explain that? Oh, uh, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a classic yeah. sort of argument from, sure. the, from the true believers. But it's like, like you just said, how do you, you – like, can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere with that. Mm. So this is sort of, you know – that's kind of where we're at here on the program, where it's I try to avoid the people that have just sort of have a a story, you know what I mean? Because you can't really, if they have research into a subject, that's great. But mm-hmm. if they have a story, it's like, unless it's a super crazy story, <laughs> you know, because I have another sort of, this this jumps into another sort of area that ties into skepticism and stuff like that, you know. I, one of your articles was getting people to think deeply, and we talked mm-hmm. about, earlier sort of like, well, what does it matter to you that they think deeply? My perspective on it all is I've given up on <laughs> I've given up on trying to get people to think deeply in the sense that or I've given up on trying to pull 
them up to my level or, or the level of the program, in mm-hmm. a sense. If they believe everything that comes down the pike, it's great if they listen to the show, but I could live without those people altogether. You know, it's, there, a, it's a caveat emptor world, you know, buyer beware. And, and there's some people that are going to be, uh, you know, I hate, to, I hate to sort of categorize them this way, but the, they're lost causes. I, I, there's really yeah, no absolutely. sense in talking to them because they're not going to change their mind. And maybe I'd rather talk to this person over here who wants to find out more and who may change their mind. Look at farther with that person. Right. Um, you can sort of cycle back to what I talked about in the beginning when you're talking about nothing but people telling stories. That's the problem I had with the paranormal uh, literature from the beginning. I was so unsatisfied with those stories, stories after story, and I could go nowhere with them. Hmm. So that that was sort of what got me frustrated about it, too. I wanted to see more and better evidence, and I wanted to see somebody sort of come across with a different perspective. A more critical perspective because just those stories weren't satisfying. I can't do anything with those. See, I think we have very similar perspectives on this, but we have mm-hmm. sort of different ideas on how to deal with it. Do you know what I mean? I kind of, you, you sort of want to fix it. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I would love to fix it, but I've gotten to the cynical point of view where I'm like, I don't see how uh, it can be fixed. But I'm taking steps here. I've got you on the show, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, well, look, I mean, I'm what, looking what, to improve the overall quality of, of getting to the bottom of these mysteries, but within the confines of the paranormal community, I realize that's a difficult task. If we had this, this, let's go back to the Loch Ness Monster just as, just as a, an example. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has, and we're going to solve this, but it has multiple boring explanations. It's a sturgeon sighting, or it's um, you know the 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 seaches, the waves that go back and forth that look like a, a creature, or it's a school of fish, or whatever. It's got multiple explanations for these different people's uh, eyewitness accounts, but we've pretty much we we can we can get ninety nine percent of them uh, attributed to one cause or another. Would you be satisfied with that? Me personally, yeah. As an explanation, okay. Loch Ness Monster is solved. We have... It's signed, sealed, and delivered. We know for sure. We've drained yeah. the lock and... and I, I mean, I'm not saying that like would happen, but I'm just using yeah. it as a hypothetical example. It had it has a bunch of mundane explanations to it. Um, would, would the paranormal people be satisfied with that? I would be disappointed, but satisfied. Would you? Because I think a lot of people would be unsatisfied because it's not a good enough answer for them. <laughs> Well, if it was a certain thing, then it's game over. I mean, they, you gotta, that's sort of my perspective I mean, yeah. on, on that scenario. Like I said, I mean, if they drained the lock and they found like eight sturgeon flopping around, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd be okay. like, well, yeah. all right, that's it. You know, turn out the lights. It's over. It's over <laughs> for the Loch Ness Monster. You know, but yet there are those who would still grasp onto oh, the yeah, idea they, that at one know. time there was a plesiosaur living there. Right, and it escaped into the ocean somehow. Uh, yeah, and again, yeah. it's like you go back and you can't prove that negative. You can't be like, well... No, it didn't escape into the into the ocean. It's impossible for that to happen. They'd be like, "No, no, no. Here's how it did happen." You'd be like, oh, "Right, I that's can't. called special pleading, where <laughs> <laughs> you try to stick in a, 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 I need this this extra thing to help me explain this in the way I want wanted to." And what what happens <clears throat> to fields like cryptozoology is you get into this special pleading that I call supernatural creep, where they can't explain things through natural means. So they start to resort to things like 
tulpas and and extra dimensions and um, alien pets and things like that to explain Bigfoot. And you just left the realm of of science at that point. You know, when, once you say it's not a flesh and blood creature, science has nothing to say about the supernatural. It's outside of natural laws, and we have nothing to say about that. Well, but some people are so desperate to hold on to that idea that they, they creep into that supernatural idea because that's the only way they can get to explain the weird things they've heard. Well, there's two trains of thought to that, though. There's uh, The first one is that just that you say science has nothing to say about that. That's I think that's part of the problem, in a sense. And the other part is that it, the, on the other end of the on the other side of the coin, the problem is you can't explain the the unknown with another unknown. Mm-hmm. So perhaps, as I said earlier, maybe we're both wrong. I've I've sort of put this idea out there on onto the show, you know, that and this is a, a gross generalization theory, I guess you could call it. <laughs> but you know how you can cut off the arm of a starfish and and its arm grows back. Mm-hmm. Maybe someday we'll find out that there's other dimensions that we can access and the Bigfoot can go back and forth between them just like a starfish can grow its arm back. True. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's a com- so it has a realm in both the supernatural and the, the you know, eventually these things may be able to be explained by science, but the science will be supernatural. Well, you have to define supernatural very, very specifically. Like a lot of people, uh, ask, you and your will, semantics. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> a lot of people will exchange paranormal and supernatural, but really they're they're very different. I mean, supernatural, you're talking about outside of natural laws. We're pretty good on natural laws right now. <laughs> we understand them pretty well. I don't think we're going to come up with a law that overturns physics. But on the other hand, there is that wiggle room in terms of paranormal. Things could be look like they're supernatural, but really they're paranormal because we just haven't come up with the explanation for it yet. But it would essentially fit and not not um, cross natural laws. Right. So um, the extra dimension, I'm not sure if that's beyond nature. Uh, it is now, but maybe we'll figure that out. But I mean, people, when they're talking about um, uh, uh, omnipotent entities, you know, the God question is a supernatural question. Science okay. has nothing to say about that. That's right. where I'm going with that. I see or, or even life beyond death. Um, spirit, the way that ghosts are defined as spirits, that are, you know, the remnants of dead people coming back, that would actually, that would cross a natural law. So that is supernatural. And maybe there's a paranormal explanation for it, but supernatural science can't go there because it's outside natural laws. We only operate with the natural laws, so we have nothing to say about that. See see what I mean, the difference? Yeah, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is maybe maybe eventually these two will collide in a sense. Well the, well, the understanding of the natural laws will change to the point where we'll actually realize that... There's room. Right. Or, okay. You know what I'm saying? That, that mm-hmm. Like I said about the starfish. It's like, well, maybe someone's going to hit a Bigfoot with their car, right? And they, you know, it's half alive. Like, this is getting into really... <laughs> this <laughs> is getting into Hollywood audience, territory. Right? This is like Harry and Henderson's too. So you throw them in, a, you throw them in your trunk, you bring them to the <laughs> zoo or whatever, and, and they got them locked up. But then it's like, oh, but somehow the Bigfoot has like this chameleon-like ability, where he just blends oh. into the wall, or somehow it can turn itself invisible, and it turns out it has some, you know, animals do weird things. <laughs> now, obviously, no other animals out there are turning themselves invisible, but who knows? <laughs> well, we kind of know, but... <laughs> no, I, uh, we don't know. Yeah, we're, 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 we're seeing, uh, yeah, I mean, some hypotheticals there. There's, obviously, there's a lot out there we don't know. Right. 
And, you know, otherwise science would be dead because there's nothing left to discover, and that's obviously not true. So, yeah, we have some some couple really big discoveries, uh, hopefully in our lifetime. That'll be cool. Um, I, that's the kind of stuff I, I look forward to. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> I told you we were going down a weird path there, but I, I, that, <laughs> I guess that was, you know, I guess what I'm saying is maybe we'll learn that there are some kind of abilities that these animals have that we don't know about, so... Or maybe we'll come up with a different explanation for why people are saying that they're experiencing these things, something we didn't think of yet. Right, because there's also the possibility, and I'm giving this credence on the program, that it's all, you know, you you kind of, you know, you dismissed the the Tulba thing earlier, but Mm -hmm. I feel like there's also the possibility that these things like Bigfoot and ghosts and stuff may be just a creation of the mind, that maybe somehow... You know, if you're in the right place at the right time, you got it on your mind somehow, or you don't have it on your mind, but maybe it's lurking in your un- in your subconscious somehow. You know, I, I don't want to go so far as to say hallucination, but I will. You know, somehow maybe you see things that aren't there. That it's it's not too far fetched. I mean, some people would take it to be far fetched, but I mean, I think that. Um, is it any more far-fetched than that there's a giant hairy <laughs> creature walk? You know what I mean? It's it's actually well, more plausible in a, it, it, based on the science that we know of, right? Right, yeah, it, uh, because, you know, people really do have strange things go on with their, with their brains. You know, it really does happen. And we can't imagine waking up one morning and not being able to recognize faces or have no short-term memory anymore. We can't imagine what that's like, but it really does happen. Right. So it, it could be that there is some sort of um, unique situation that, that certain people have, and we haven't figured that out yet. I think that's completely plausible. Uh, like like I would look at it as, yeah, there's some sort of, uh, I don't know, I mean, electromagnetic fields don't really do this, but if there was some sort of way to affect your brain in that way where you do feel like you're having this experience and it's so real that you will you will swear that it's real, um, that seems really plausible. It, it's not it's not as exciting as, as the creature is really there that we're manufacturing it from our minds, but in a way it's just looking at it from a different direction. Right, right. Yeah. Plus someone out there would figure out a way to harness it so you could get your... Yeah, you know, right. You could imagine all kinds of things. <laughs> That's fascinating. Things. Um, now, I did notice uh, in, in, in your writings and on, on that segment there, you, you, you know, you... you you lamented that you've been accused of taking all the fun out of this. Mm. And, and you sort of, it seemed to really resonate with you. So I, I guess, t- I, I don't think that that's the case, having talked to you here for almost a couple hours now. But mm-hmm. I can see how that's the sort of point of view of the paranormal community on skeptics in general. Yeah. Where it's like, I, I've likened it to, I, I, I confess, I, I am a professional wrestling fan. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> uh, you know, but I, I liken it to the people that are like, don't you know that stuff's fake? And it's like, yes, I know it's fake. I don't need you here to tell me that it's mm-hmm. fake. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, in a sense, liken it to that when it comes to some skeptics. You know, I don't need you to rub my nose in this fact that, you know, that story about elves attacking some dude in, you know, Pennsylvania <laughs> wasn't true. It's like, of course it probably wasn't true, but it's a great story. I see that a lot. Yeah, and, and it's funny because... I, I like it as a great story, but I look at it from a different angle, mm. and I, I sort of want it to be something different. So I think when we take these bits of culture 
and and make them our own, we're going to disagree on what to do with them. Right, right. Um, and I, I've had this discussion so often with with other paranormal sites where they get mad at me. Oh, one one person, I within like a day of a, of a story coming out, I wrote in their comments, no, it's this. I, I figured it out. And they're like, couldn't you just wait a day? Oh, that's pathetic. We posted this because we were having so much fun thinking about what it was. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) That's cool. We figured it out. I was so disappointed. Yeah. So that's that's the way my brain works. (laughs) That's not the way everybody else's works. So it's going to be different. We're all not going to be happy with each other. But, you know. No, but I mean, I, I, I don't, you know. I don't decry your perspective, I guess. You know? Well, that's good. I mean, some people do. Right, <laughs> right. But the people in the skeptical community, they shouldn't... <laughs> I, I, to, 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 to borrow a line here from one of your, one of your articles, you say that uh, the bulk of popular cryptozoology, is, I think you extend it to, to the rest of the paranormal, is a jumble of the same poor quality evidence, a ton of hype, rampant speculation, and unfounded assumption. Those are four of my favorite things. <laughs> so, I, I mean, come on. Rampant speculation, a ton of hype? Sign me up. Where can I get this stuff? Yeah. See, and, but, again, you on your, but, but from your perspective, you're like, this is, these are bad things. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, it's the same thing. Like, I'm not going to, to go out on a Saturday night and drink till I'm wasted. Because we are very that. different people, then. See what I mean? <laughs> Some people think that's fun, and I don't think it's fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's part of our our experience. We're all different. Mm. Um, well, I guess it's it's in terms of your final goal. I mean, if your if your goal is to show that in in that article, it was, is cryptozoology a science or not? And my opinion is, it it can be. It's not, but it can be, um, as it stands today. I think it's en route to becoming a, a science. And I think it's going the opposite direction. Wow. I think that <laughs> <laughs> I think that cryptozoology is fascinating in terms of folklore and uh, culture. Mm. That's where I find the most um the fascinating aspect of it. I don't think these are these are real creatures. Um I think it's people interpreting them in their own way and so it's not about the, the flesh and blood creature. It's not about biology. It's about people's perception. And I find people's perception fascinating. Well, the reason I say that is because, uh, as we talked about earlier, there's a sort of move towards the DNA thing. I'm not talking about the Melba Ketchum fiasco, but the mm-hmm. uh, the Brian Sykes stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's... I think that there's one... It, I think cryptozoology is just like, like one good breakthrough away from at least being sort of moved from the kiddie table to the adult table, or maybe just getting a seat at the kiddie table, you know, of of mainstream science. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I think it's, uh, I, I don't think it's, I think it's fascinating, and I think it's worthy of talking about because it's it's, it's got so many facets in, in there to, to, to discuss. But um, you're talking about, like, again, each one of these creatures has their own, Context like my favorite cryptozoology book of all time is Ben Radford's Tracking the Chupacabra because he goes through it um, 
a very complicated story and pulls out a very reasonable conclusion that now has held up for for quite a while. So I, I, that's the kind of scholarship that I look for. When I was talking about cryptozoology being a pseudoscience, I'm not seeing the scholarship that I would want to see in order to make it sound legitimate. Hmm. I think it can be. I just don't think people are doing it. Okay. So, I mean, if more scientists get involved, like, like uh, if you're familiar with Dr. Darren Nash doing some stuff on um, uh, cryptids, uh, he does a fantastic job. But he's the one who says, no, the Montauk monster is a raccoon. And everyone <laughs> says, oh, really? <laughs> you know, it's, but it is. And I think it's cool that we misinterpreted a dead, bloated raccoon to be a mutant from the radiation facility. I think that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's, I don't care if it's a raccoon. It's just a neat story. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to go back to the to the point about, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly a fan of the poor quality evidence, but the, the mm-hmm. ton of hype and the rampant speculation, that's sort of fun. But eventually fun, you need yeah. to get to, and the unfounded assumptions, but you need to get, you know, eventually you need to get over that. I mean, uh, that's well, certainly if, where I am. If, that's, if, if you want the real answer, yeah, you right. have to get over that. Right. You have to get serious. And I think we're both in agreement that there's this, there's just the, you know, I have no use for the for the true believers mm. or the people. Like I said, it's it's, and and the perspective on this show is, I people have have written in and, and said, you know, what I like about the show is you never actually tell us what you actually believe in. So it's like oh. my attitude is that it's up to the people who listen to the show to figure out what what's right and what's wrong. So like, let them decide. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and uh, see, well, I wrote an article on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what's your take on that? Then you probably disagree with that. Um, no, I mean, there's, it's very plausible to say you decide. However, there's problems with that because of the information that we're fed. Hmm. We're not always given the right information. We're not always given all the information. So right. when you have, um, you know, the uh, unsolved mysteries type program on TV giving you an edited, recreated version of the story and then saying, you decide, mm, not a fair uh, assessment. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if you're the one that's going to go research it and look into it, yes, you decide um, that you've done a, a fair job of pulling all the information you need to make a, a reasonable conclusion. But when you're sitting in, at, in your living room watching TV and the ghost hunters are telling you, oh, you, you can make up your own mind. No, because you just gave me a concocted story hmm. and some poor evidence. And I'm not getting the whole story. So to say me decide, that's, that's, that's ludicrous. I guess like, the point then is that it's, it's not just, oh, hey, you, you go decide this. I guess my attitude is it's your responsibility to go figure this out for yourself because it's not my responsibility to tell you that chances are what you're hearing is is crazy talk. Sure. All we're doing is sort of feeding out these ideas. And whether people want to take them in or reject them is their responsibility. Yeah, because I just think that I don't want to hold people's hands through this whole thing, you know. I think there's plenty of, like, it, again, I, I go back to that. The, there's these core sort of nuggets of what I think is going on, mm-hmm. but it's branched off into so much craziness that I still enjoy talking to the people that go down the crazy roads. Mm-hmm. Well, you have something to learn from them, too. I think so, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Plus, in a way, as, as, as odd as it might sound, 
I feel like, and, and you said earlier you think the skeptics think that the paranormal people are winning, but I sometimes feel like that there are some points of view that are so out there that they're not given a fair enough shake that it's it's nice to give them the platform to discuss their stuff, even if I don't believe it. I mean, I've had people on the program where I don't believe what they're talking mm-hmm. about, so, but I'm willing to listen to it. The drawback with something like that is that you will appeal to part of the audience who will accept it as true. Hmm. Um, and we can get back to the Sandy Hook truthers. Um, that got media coverage. It probably should have been just thrown under the carpet. Please don't give these people uh, media attention. Right. But they got the media attention, and now more people are thinking, oh, it's got media attention. Maybe there's something to it. And... We have a tendency to do that. Familiarity, we think that there's then some grain of truth to it. Well, we know that's not true. I mean, people used to believe in witches causing crop failures and diseases and stuff. Um, it was a widespread belief. It doesn't make it true. Exactly. You know? So, uh, you know, it doesn't work on democracy there. But but I think people have a tendency to, to see things, and if they become familiar with them, they, they, they think that there's something to it. So I think just giving certain people of a platform can be bad um, unless you have a way to counter that. So it's tricky. I suppose, yeah. No, I suppose. I, well, I'm open to, you know, feedback from the listeners who say this is. <laughs> right, and, you, and you don't want to say, um, you know, don't print this book hmm. because it's too out there. Right. You know, that's censorship, and, and that's not right either. So, yeah, there, I, I sort of wish the, the the solution would be just to get everybody in the world to start thinking a little bit more critically. But, you know, that's not going to happen. But, you know, it's it, it you're going to have some people that just buy into this with absolutely no evidence just because it sounds good to them or it sounds convenient. So I think that, that that's what we saw when we had this truther thing is that it's it's so good of a story that some people just adopted it for no other reason than it was a good story. And right. And there's I'm probably worried. I think there's an element of like if you look at it from a like pull further back on the history of all this, it's like 9/11 is 10 years old. That's the truth the 9/11 truth thing sort of ground to a halt. And mm-hmm. there's this maybe there's this un you know, this uh, subconscious need within a pocket of the community to uh, latch on to a perceived big lie. Mm. So it's, I mean, they've even adopted the 9-11 nomenclature. Right. You know, they're Sandy Hook truthers, yeah. which is so, it's embarrassing in in, in so many ways. But mm-hmm. I think that maybe, maybe that might be what's going on with a lot of that, too. Yeah, I think it's got a political spin to it and a social spin to it. You know, we're in, in economic times and that are just, people are struggling and they may be disagreeing with the politics and this had some political implications for people's uh, civil right, or, um, um, rights, gun rights and, and stuff. So I think it has, it's again one of those fairly complicated mixes of things going on where people are going to either buy into this belief or not. As we've talked, you know, both sides are, there are zealots on both sides. So the people mm-hmm. who are like, you know, not specifically about uh, the Sandy Hook thing, but there are people who are just so super adamant about the anti-conspiracy end. But there's also, and I've bemoaned this on the show numerous times, where there, I, I'm so annoyed with the people 
on the conspiracy end, and this goes into sort of what maybe might motivate them, it's that they, they always have this sort of thing like where they say, you know, you don't know the whole story. They're in the know and you're not is the point mm-hmm. I'm trying to make. So there's this undercurrent of you're dumb, I'm smart, I know what's really going on, and here's what it is. And they feel special because they have that special knowledge. Right. Too. Yeah. And I think that perspective can can be flipped on to the, the skeptic side as well when you get people who are just super adamant about it and are like, you're yeah. dumb, you believe in this crazy stuff, you know, don't you know it's not real? It's you know. especially true, like I said, with the atheism. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're very smug, and mm. I find that offensive, and I don't I, – I can't go there. I, I just don't don't like that attitude of being so smug, and I'm uh, superior to you mm. yeah. because of this belief. Um, I sort of I, – I guess – you know, I, I think of my, my evolution as, of thinking about – the paranormal and how the world works is very much a pendulum. I mean, when I was younger and I believed almost everything, and then, <laughs> you know, through college, the, the pendulum swung way to the other end and I believed nothing. I was, a, you know, I denied everything was had any you know, merit to it at all. Yeah. And then the pendulum swung back a little bit less to the other side and then a little bit less to the other side. And I think I'm really getting close to the middle right now <laughs> where I've I've really examined both sides and now I can understand if I come across a person who believes something completely different than me I'm okay with that it, it doesn't reflect upon who I am it's not my issue I could accept them for who they are you know because um, it, it doesn't affect my worldview I've thought about the whole thing I'm still thinking about it but I mean I've, I've thought through a lot yeah whereas you know, that's fine. It's not not going to affect me if you believe in this thing. Good. <laughs> <laughs> the only time where it, get, it gets a little weird is when, you know, people try to inject their view into something that affects you. Um, you know, creationism in schools and, and anti-vax and, and right. uh, things yeah. like that bother me. Because then, then you're impinging on other people's rights and, and, and freedom. So Exactly. Well, it's, it's, there's... You know, we talked earlier about sort of these these snake oils and, and sort of these cure-alls and, the, you know, mm-hmm. medicinal hoaxes is a whole mm-hmm. different thing than, than, I guess you could say, philosophical um, differences of opinion sure. on the paranormal. Who, yeah, who disagrees with the idea of consumer protection? Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's a good thing. So skeptics have tried to go there. That's a good thing because I think <laughs> the people in the paranormal community either they're true believers and they're drinking this shit, or they're the people like me who are like, "What are you crazy? Don't drink that shit." <laughs> so, yeah, but there's no one sort of in the middle who's like, "Listen, I gotta get the word out about this," mm. because well, I'm sure there are, but it's it's sort of not a really prominent active part of the community. It's either you're you're, you're drinking it or you're like, "Don't drink that, man. Don't drink that." Yeah, because it does it does seem sort of harmless. You know, people taking uh, homeopathy pills or whatever. It's like, oh, what's the harm? Um, the harm is that one day you can get so into homeopathy that when you really get sick, you won't go to the doctor. You'll go to your um, your naturopath or whatever and fail to be treated for something seriously. So there is that slippery slope argument. Um, 
So, I mean, a lot of people do ask, what's the harm? And by the way, there is a whole website, whatstheharm.net. Yes. Where you can go on and you actually can see that some of these things do cause real harm. Um, people have died because of their belief in ghosts or um, alternative medicine, obviously, or their belief in the occult. You know, children have died. So Who died because they believed in ghosts? Like, there were like ghost hunters that hurt themselves running that's around. That's right, ghost wow. hunters that hurt themselves. Um, um, there were kids that were hit by a train and um, uh, people who were injured during uh, ghost hunts because they were in unsafe situations. You know, they were walking around in an old, dilapidated house and they weren't taking uh, proper care. They shouldn't have been there. Yeah, part of me says, you know, that's it's sort of like the old thing where you say, you know, don't talk about politics, religion, or sex in, in the uh, at the bar. Sort of in my mind, it's like, well, there's plenty of people that have gotten hurt or killed doing doing stupid True. things, <laughs> having yeah. you know, having sex on a train on train tracks or something, <laughs> something more odd. Like it's not a, it's it's not the ghost hunting that's to blame. It's just the or, stupidity of people. Right. Or or in another way that it causes harm is a lot of people do spend a lot of time and money on it and get rather obsessed. Right. With the idea. But then again, you know, they could be. In a sense, if as long as they're like still can feed their family and everything, I have no problem if mm-hmm. someone wants to spend all their disposable income on ghost hunting trinkets. Because if they didn't, maybe they'd be doing it with uh, model trains or something. Mm, I see. So it's fair, you know. It's I, I, I believe me. I stand against moronic behavior. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really what is is the problem, I guess you could say. <laughs> Yeah, extreme behavior. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the guy who who was trying to promote or trying to prompt a Bigfoot sighting and had a little bit too much to drink and jumped out into the highway and got hit by a car. You know, um, not not a good move and a bit too extreme. So, what's the harm in pretending to be Bigfoot? You could die. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's just one of those strange stories that. That could happen to anybody, even if they weren't wearing a Bigfoot suit. But it, it was—it's just—it just came out because he was trying to do something that uh, we found interesting and rather weird. Um, and one point that the uh, some skeptics will bring up, and even some paranormals will bring up, is the idea of the Darwin Awards. Mm. This person was so stupid that. They removed themselves from the gene pool. They won a Darwin Award. You know, they they, they right. died because they were so stupid. I hate that idea. I hate the concept of the Darwin Awards. Um, I do not like making fun of people who made bad decisions um, because we all make bad decisions. Right. Um, and and they did that to that guy in Montana who was in the Bigfoot suit and got killed. They said, oh, winner of the Darwin Award. He's so stupid. I find that appalling. And and I would never do that to, to somebody because it's it's demeaning to, to humanity to say that, yeah, you're stupid. You deserve to die. That's horrible, horrifying. But um, some people feel that, that it's okay to, for, for people to be demonized like that. You're so stupid. You don't deserve to to be around. So, yeah, I don't like yeah, that. Yeah, that's kind of messed either. up. I would never say that, like, someone deserves to, you know, someone yeah, deserved to get hit by a car because they were dressed in a Bigfoot suit. Right, or, can, or that they deserved to get hurt because they were out um, right. you know, researching something. That's that's terrible. It's, 
It's so misunderstanding the human condition that I find that appalling. Right. But is it okay to make fun of the actual behavior? Is it okay to be like, that's a stupid thing to do? You're not, you know, you don't don't deserve to be hurt or, you know, vilified or demonized or humiliated or whatever. But, you know, what you did was pretty dumb. That's that's kind of how I felt about those kids that went to the Congo. I mean, Mm. telling them, do you have any idea what it's like? To be, you know, in the jungle and in a, a situation where you may run out of potable water and you may be approached by um, uh, people Warlords. with guns <laughs> who yeah. want to kidnap you. And um, I, I, I felt like, gosh, this is such, they're so naive, they're so stupid to think that they could, that this is going to be a cakewalk. But off you go. It's your choice. Yeah. Um, Best of luck. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I seriously, when I when I researched that story, uh, was, I felt that there was a serious possibility I was going to see the results that they were missing. They were missing. But yeah. I, that's what I thought was going to happen. Or they were missing with all the money. It was just a scam. Yeah, that too. I wonder if they returned that money to Kickstarter. I don't think so. Wondered, but yeah, but yeah. I mean, people are free to live their lives, but what I try to do in my daily life and, and with writing and, and, and pre- presenting the skeptical viewpoints is give people some tools to think about these things a little bit harder. Um, try to think about, here, here are some tools to think about this because maybe then you can make a better decision for yourself or your family. So I think that, that that's sort of what, what I'm out to do is, is to give them those tools or another perspective to think about. Right, right. Yeah. Well, exactly, because people need to, you know, like I say, buyer beware, but people need people need to think, I stress buyer beware, because <laughs> I keep telling people that you need to really, you know, think about what you're going to do if you're going to give money to somebody or if you're going to, mm-hmm. you know, support some kind of cause here or drink some kind of, you know, alleged cure-all or, or change sure. over your whole diet or something. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's consequences. Exactly. Exactly. Now, you've got doubtful news. I really do love this website. I wasn't just uh, – I really am going to make this a, a daily stop, uh, and, and the listeners should too, because, you know, as we were lamenting on the show, on the year in review show, that the, the paranormal media and the mainstream media doesn't do the follow-ups on these stories. You know, yeah, that's and they the often problem. Yeah, they often don't do the best job in covering them in the first place. They miss things or they make mistakes. Um, so what I try to do is, is include links or additional information for people who want to follow up on that topic. Uh, maybe take them to places they hadn't been to on the internet and see some, some different perspectives on that information. And, um, I really, my goal for the site was to make it appealable to everyone. It's, I mean, mainly it was, it was there because I wanted a different, more skeptical viewpoint on this, but I really wanted, people who enjoyed these stories to come on and discuss them with us because I like those different perspectives. So I want people who, who, who like these topics to come and, and read these stories and participate in the discussions. I really want that. Right. And to, you know, allay people's fears about maybe, you know, oh, she's a skeptic. It's, it, yeah. I, I find myself in agreement. You know, I'm looking at the headline here for the, right now. It says, slow news day, light and picture of deer equals UFO. And you, you link to an article uh, from the San Antonio Express News that essentially 
uh, so disappointing. Yeah. Has an alleged UFO, you know, in this picture of a deer. And, mm-hmm. and, and so we, th- this is the kind of news I actually appreciate. Because then I can, then I can just, you know, I'm already dismissing this stuff, but at least mm-hmm. now when people bother me about it, and they can be like, well, what did you think of this story? I can be like, well, no, it's actually this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, that was kind of the point, it has been the point of the year in review show, where it's like we're inundated with such garbage news that it's hard to really pull the best nuggets out that it might actually mean something. Yeah, I've been like that with the, and there have been a few good UFO videos or pictures that I've posted because I don't know how to explain them, but other people, uh, in the audience, you know, crowdsource your, your questions and they will give you great insights you've never thought of. Um, so I do that a lot. I post this and say, what do you, what do you think? What could this be? Could it be this, this, this? Let me hear your thoughts. And they'll give me great feedback. I have great commentators. And then, but, but that's like me with the Bigfoot news because I followed the Bigfoot news really, really closely. Yeah. And it's so much garbage. It's another video or it's another, um, blob squatch or it's another howl in the woods. I can't, like, there's nothing I can get out of that that I haven't seen already. So it is hard to pick out the important stuff out of all the dross. Right, right. Exactly. I've given up on sort of, I mean, I keep an eye on the the daily news of the paranormal, but Mm -hmm. my sort of attitude is unless it's like burst into the mainstream news cycle and lasts more than 24 to 48 hours, it's worthless pretty much. I'm completely, I'm super cynical even. (laughs) (laughs) I've turned turned it all off. Sort of do the same thing because I want if, if something shows up on one of these um, citizen journalist sites like Gather or the Examiner. Oh please! I often say I don't pay any attention to it. If it shows up in mainstream media, more like even if the, the local news stations, but it comes up on a news station, um, then I realize that more people have seen it and maybe more people will be googling it or wanting to find out right. more about it, and then I'll pick it up. But some people will, will email me links to stories from, like I said, Examiner, Gather, um, what's another one? Uh, Daily Mail yeah. from the UK. And I won't touch those. Or I'll go and I'll look and see if there's an actual um, better source for that story. Hmm. Because I can't possibly report every paranormal story that comes out. Because they're just, they're they're not worth it. They're not worth thinking about. That's... See, I told you right at the beginning, yeah. we're a lot, <laughs> we're a lot more similar. Common ground. Yeah. Well, what's next for you? Double News is growing. It's it's mm-hmm. really amazing, and uh, I'm psyched that we've had you on the show, and I'm going to spread the word about this website far and wide. So. Well, I, you know. I really appreciate that. I, I love doing the website. I have um, a few wonderful people who help me, and um, what I do is I contribute to podcasts here and there, little bits of pieces, and we we do that virtual skeptics, which is just sort of us, bunch of friends getting together and being silly and and talking about the news. And I'll be blogging, and I also write for Skeptical Inquirer. I actually did a long piece on the Melba Ketchum DNA thing, you know, and I was the one who researched the whole thing, and that will be coming out in Skeptical Inquirer, and Skeptical Briefs will, will have the longer, ironically enough, Skeptical Briefs will have the longer version of the story, because it was a lot of information that I dug through, so I did that, and I do some book reviews, and um, I'm sure you'll see me popping up here and there, and nice. various places. Now, it's interesting, uh, it's it's 
it's interesting because at the end of the program here, we, it, we I always end up asking folks who haven't done so yet if they've uh, if they have plans on putting their research out into a book. You know, the, it's interesting. Uh, this, this could be a whole other line of discussion, but we're we're, we're running quite a ways over what we planned. Mm-hmm. But it's like the fetishization of <laughs> of writing mm-hmm. a book in the paranormal community. But have you given any consideration to you know a book of your own? Sure. I have a couple uh, ideas. In fact, I did start writing one a number of years ago, which was about um, uh, mysterious natural phenomenon, which is my probably my favorite thing, anomalous natural phenomenon. Um, and I started writing that because I saw that there wasn't one that was aimed towards young adult readers or, or you know, teenagers who were interested in that type of, type of topic, or the ones that were out there were really bad. So... That would be something I would be interested in doing and also the idea of just living a life that um, is is um, enlightened by some, some critical thinking tools, how you can raise your kids with a little bit more critical thinking attitude and how you can get through life evaluating all the information that we see getting thrown at us every day in a more skeptical way. Well, we definitely need more critical thinking. That's <laughs> That's a problem. Beyond just the paranormal, as as this uh, definitely is crazy football player story goes, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, for everything, people finances. need to ask questions about yeah. <laughs> what they're being told. A lot of people don't. Yep. Um, on that note, we've we've talked for quite a while, and it's time to say goodbye here uh, for now, because I would love to have you back on the show in the future to explore these issues even more mm-hmm. and and get into all these different topics, and maybe uh, have you on next year. Towards the end of the year, do a, do uh, either bring you into the year and review episode, or have you contribute something uh, in that regard, so we can sort sure. of keep this concept evolving. Uh, you know about what we're dealing with with these mysteries. I've yeah. thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. And oh, me too. Like I said uh, in the emails leading up to this, and early in the conversation, I think we're way closer than than maybe. Uh, we may have thought of if we just sort of passed each other in the proverbial mm-hmm. internet hallway. So it's been great to have you on the show, and, you know, I look forward to to reading your stuff as we go forward. thanks. Thanks, Tim. I really enjoyed it, too. That does it for this edition of BOA Audio Season 7. Big, big thanks to Sharon Hill for coming on the show. Be sure to stop by her website, www.doubtfulnews.com. I think many, many BOA Audio listeners would enjoy it quite a bit. So be sure to check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio Listener Feedback, and we've got a handful of emails here from a variety of listeners, so let's dive on in. The first one comes from Robert, no hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. My wife and I discovered your show a short time ago, and we've become hooked. We've been pouring through the archives, listening to them nonstop, and thought we'd make a couple of comments. We love the Paul Stonehill interview. It was one of the best you've done, and we'd like to hear him on again. Always nice to hear from someone in another country, because they have a unique perspective. Some guests we don't mind hearing from again. For instance, we really like Nick Redfern, so it's a pleasure to hear you interview him. We are wondering why you haven't interviewed David Weatherly. Like Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Weatherly is a goldmine of information on all aspects of the paranormal, since he's been in the field so very long. Keep up the great work. BOA is quickly becoming our favorite program, and we really like your style of interviewing, since you go beyond the standard questions 
that so many hosts seem to repeat ad nauseum. Robert, no hometown listed. Thank you very much for writing in, Robert. Thank you for your kind words about the program. I hope you and your wife have enjoyed digging through the BOA audio archives. I enjoyed the Paul Stonehill interview quite a bit as well and would love to have him on the program again. And definitely would like to get back on the international guest beat as time goes on. We've got an international guest actually in the back catalog right now that hasn't been posted yet. So we're going to go international at least one more time. And I've got a couple of other guests that may qualify, I guess you could say, as international guests. But definitely it is an area I would like to dig into further as we have done in the past, talking to paranormal researchers all over the globe about their respective countries and the phenomena that can be found there. With regards to returning guests, obviously I would love to have Nick Redfern on the show again and again and again. He is somebody that I just really love talking to. So I am sure that it's only a matter of time before Nick is back on BOA Audio. Really though, I try to find a balance here between new guests and returning guests. I could sit back and do a whole season of returning guests. And it is something actually that I've considered in the past. But that may be for the future because I do love bringing these new voices to the program. Speaking of which, Robert, you may be psychic or something like that, because I can tell you that uh, I have been in talks with David Weatherly. We have pinned down a date and time, so David Weatherly will be appearing on the program, provided that everything goes as planned. So stay tuned for that, and thank you for the guest suggestion, as well as your kind words about the program. Our next email comes from Randy, who contacted me on Facebook and simply asks, Hello, sir. I was wondering if you would entertain the idea of a show on Giants. Randy. Randy, how long have you been listening to this program, my friend? Of course I would entertain the idea of a show on Giants. Just the thought of it sounds awesome. I've tried to track down Steve Quayle and get him on the program a few times, but he is reticent about doing podcast interviews. So if anyone can suggest an alternative guest on Giants, I would definitely be down with looking into their stuff and possibly having them on the program. Also, I don't know, this is only amusing to me, I guess, but I part of the reason why I picked Randy's email here is because he contacted me on Facebook through the Banal of America Facebook page. So I figured, hey, we can at least say where Randy's from because... Uh, He's on Facebook here, so it must list his hometown. So I clicked on Randy's profile, and Randy is not even my Facebook friend. He just likes Banal of America. So thank you, Randy, for liking Banal of America. Hopefully someday we can become friends so I can find out where you live. That sounds terrifying. (laughs) Next email comes from Eric. No hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. It's short and sweet. He says simply... Just listen to your podcast with Paul Kimball. I think it may have been the best podcast ever. Keep up the good work, Eric. Wow, Eric. Thank you very much for your kind words. I'm not entirely convinced that this isn't Paul Kimball writing to me under a ghost address. So, Eric, are you Paul Kimball? And if you are Paul Kimball, why are you writing to me with this high praise for your own program? Just kidding, of course, Uh, but thank you very much for writing in, Eric. Uh, We got a lot of great feedback on the Paul Kimball interview. People really enjoyed it quite a bit, and overwhelmingly, 
mentioned that it did feel like they were just listening to a conversation between two buddies at the bar, which is really the goal of the program here as we've evolved into Season 7 to try and give you the best pure, organic conversations and interviews with the leading lights of paranormal research. And as you can see here from this week's episode, people who are looking at the paranormal from different angles as well. Thank you for writing in, Eric. Glad you enjoyed the interview with Paul Kimball. Stay tuned. I'm sure Paul will resurface on BOA Audio at some point in the future. And now let me plug the Banal of America Facebook page and take care of the shout-outs which were promised at the end of the last edition of the show. I tried to break the bottleneck since we were stuck at 898 likes, and so Gary M. ended up being like number 899. Oleg C. was like number 900. But as was my concern and fear, there was a bit of chicanery, perhaps. There was some strange turn of events, because shortly after I announced congrats to Gary and Oleg, we dipped back down to 899, and then Clifford D. became like number 900. I don't know if he did that intentionally or not. Kudos to him for his quick thinking. Therefore, he earns the shout-out as well. So Gary M., Oleg C., and Clifford D., thank you for your likes, which put us over the top of 900. As of now, we are at 910, so we're over the barrier of 900, and we can see 1,000 on the horizon. Hopefully, we can break that by the end of February. The likes just keep adding up, thanks to all the great folks out there who have found us on Facebook, such as listener Michael Ball, who wrote to me because he was like number 903. Here's what he says. I was the 903 like instead of 900. But you can still give me a shout-out at the end of the show, especially since I have listened to every show at least once, and several of them multiple times. BOA is one of three podcasts that I listen to on a daily basis. That's how I stay sane at work, as well as on my 45-minute commute each day daily. Ouch. Radio Mysterioso is one of the other two. I do want to thank you for all your hard work you put into making each and every show the best and most entertaining it can possibly be. You rock, Michael Ball. So I wrote Michael back, said thank you very much. Of course, I would include him in the shout-outs. And he wrote back and said, I will be listening with anticipation as always. Yes, I'm one of the ones that listens to your thoughts after the guest is gone, and you sign off for the night. So Michael is a hardcore BOA audio listener. He's literally listening right now. Hopefully not outside my door. But he is listening to the program right now. So thank you, Michael for your kind words, and for your enduring support of the program. I am just really happy that we've managed to help you get through each day at work and that long commute. That sounds painful, 45 minutes each way. My goodness, that's 90 minutes a day, Michael, that you are just driving. That's maddening. I, I My heart goes out to you, sir. And nonetheless, thank you for your support of the program. Thank you for your like on Facebook. And thank you for your kind words. That wraps up listener feedback this week. Big thanks to Michael, Eric, Randy, and Robert for writing in. And if you would like to be a part of future installments of listener feedback, here are the ways you can do so. You can simply head on over to Banal of America and click the contact button. 
or write to BOA Audio at hotmail.com. Additionally, you can head on over to the official BOA forum, the US of E.com, T H E U S O F E.com. It is BOA's paranormal playground where we discuss the world of pop culture as well as esoterica. Beyond that, of course, I should mention that I am on Facebook and Twitter, so just punch in Benal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L. That should bring my profile up right away. Feel free to befriend me, follow me, or poke me. It's all good, and I'd be happy to have you as part of my online circle of friends. Speaking of Twitter, I'm starting to wonder if I should start tweeting again. So, folks who are listening, if you're big Twitter heads and you want me to start tweeting again, I've kind of got an itch to tweet. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm itching to tweet. So maybe I should uh, revive my Twitter presence beyond simple banal of America plugs. So Twitter heads out there, write to me and let me know if you want me to start tweeting. And, of course, we already plugged Ad Nauseam, the BOA Facebook page. Head on over there, punch in banal of America, like us, and get insights into the program and news about the latest developments at Benal of America. I love hearing from the listeners. I love hearing your thoughts on the program, good or bad. I am very much interested in hearing your thoughts on this week's installment of the program, since it is so different from anything we've ever done on the show. And even beyond that, some of your thoughts on the show in general. I'd love to hear it, and I'd love to include your correspondence on future installments of BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Up next, it is time for the thanks portion of the show. Please allow me to take a moment here and thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, and our webmaster, Jeremy Boston. A lot of stuff going on behind the scenes at BOA right now. First of all, we got an all-new Paranormal Apostate from Bruce Pretty that has been posted at Banal of America since the last edition of this show. Check that out. It is kind of in keeping with this installment of the program featuring Sharon Hill. It is Bruce Pretty's defense of SETI. Often you've heard on the program our good friend Stan Friedman called them the silly effort to investigate Bruce Pretty defends SETI in the new Paranormal Apostate. And, as I teased just now, there is a lot going on behind the scenes at Banal of America. I am currently working with some folks to revitalize the online presence of BOA. I really want to reshape the website, make it a little more user-friendly on my end, make it a little more workable for the contributors, and just give it a fresh coat of paint. So our good friend and webmaster Jeremy Boston is taking a step back. He's going to handle a lot of the graphics for the website, but we're currently in talks with a variety of people to come on board and help us redesign Banal of America and hopefully just give it a little boost, a little shot of adrenaline as we roll through the beginning of 2013. Stay tuned to be away on Facebook for news on that. And, of course, keep an eye on BinallofAmerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com for paranormal news and opinion. 
Now comes the time in the program where I take my hat off and pass it around to the BOA audio listeners and ask you to make a donation to the Banal of America franchise. How do you do that? That's simple. There are two ways to do so. You can head on over to Banal of America and click the PayPal button. That'll bring you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But what if you don't trust the Internet and you want to help us out via a snail mail donation? Well, you are in luck because we have a P.O. box for just that purpose. You can send your donation to Tim Benal, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass, 01866. And the complete address can be found at Benal of America under the PayPal button. And bear in mind, if you send us a donation, please make it payable to Tim Benal and not Benal of America. And please include some means of correspondence so I can reach out to you and thank you for your donation. As always, it bears repeating, my friends, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Benal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. On the next edition of the program, we are returning to our esoteric roots in a big way as we welcome a pioneer in the world of paranormal research, the crypto hunter himself, John Rhodes. He is the man who really popularized the reptilian theory. He really put reptoids on the map, and then so many other people in the world of esoterica picked up his research, co-opted it, twisted it around, turned it around, and did a whole bunch of their own things with it. But John Rhodes is really the guy that put reptoids on the map. He does not do a lot of podcast interviews, but he was more than happy to come on Banal of America because he is very familiar with our work. And I teased about this episode like way back in late November and December. It is a classic, my friends. It is really one I think folks are going to be thrilled with and one that I have been dying to roll out for the BOA audio listeners. It has been burning a hole on my hard drive because it is so hot, and I cannot wait to get it out there for folks. I've listened to about half of it so far in the editing process, and I am captivated by it, and I was there. So I cannot wait for the BOA audio listeners to tune in for that one. That's coming at you on the next edition of the program. We'll discuss the terrestrial reptoid hypothesis and the reptilian theory with paranormal pioneer John Rhodes. And on that note, we close the book on this edition of the program. Big, big thanks once again to Sharon Hill for coming on the show. Check out DoubtfulNews.com, my friends. Additionally, big thanks to Robert, Randy, Eric, and Michael for contributing to BOA Audio Listener Feedback. And, of course, enormous thanks to all you folks out there, the hardcore BOA audio listeners, the ones who tune in to the very end of the program. You guys are awesome. Thank you for your enduring support of this program. It is truly humbling and appreciated. Thank you for making BOA audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.